You may now push the record button. I did. Oh. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. All right, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. This is episode number 458. Uh, and we, we stop? No, 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 you can't. Are we going to say the numbers in the beginning of the show or are we not? Because I think for a while you skipped and now I don't know what's happening. Uh, well, I, I just figured 458 sounded like a cool number, so I was going <laughs> to throw it in there. You know what I mean? I, I don't We're know. only going to tell you guys the numbers when we like the numbers. <laughs> I don't know, Owen. I think having 458 podcasts under our belt is pretty goddamn good. I don't know. The years have flown by and (laughs) we've aged horribly. Thank God we didn't do videos in the beginning. They'd see how young and hopeful we were (laughs) and, you know, what we've turned into now. Yes. So this is true. So uh, welcome back. Last week uh, we had the, uh, the episode with me and Rob. Now, we've never done an episode with me and Rob. Uh, you know, it, it, and I could hear the fanboyness squealing off of you when I listened to the episode. <laughs> it was like, it's just going to be you and me, Rob. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is a trial run of my replacing. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Here it goes. He's planning. He thinks I'm going to get Rona in Florida and die, and he's setting everything up. Yeah, so. Never. <laughs> it's like I knew it. So, no, so yeah. I'm going to tell else? a story about uh, that real quick before we get filmed. But, um, you know, me and Owen were recording at the beginning of June, like, like all these episodes. <laughs> Gangbusters. Like, yeah. We had so many episodes in the bank that, like, we didn't record anything for, like, two weeks. <laughs> And then you went away, and I must I have misjudged your your we were departure. We were supposed to record one more, and we never did. <laughs> yeah, I misjudged your departure because I thought that we were going to be recording last week, and then I was like, uh, I said, oh, wait, is he leaving for Florida this week? <laughs> and hey, you're like, was- yeah, I leave on Thursday. Yeah. I was like... Well, I guess there's no show this week, and I'm like, shit, what do I do? Well, it was All like right. it was one of those things where I'm like, Eric's, Eric's got one more in the pipe, right? Yeah, no, he would told me if we need to record. Eric's got this. Eric's fine. Uh, I, I failed. It's fine, yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, you know. Whatever. You had a cool episode with Rob. It was awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Was that one you actually listened to? I, I mean, did listen to it oh, because okay. right, um, right. I, I finished the audio book um, that I was listening to in the airport, and I'm like, what am I going to listen to? And I'm paging through, and there was a new NPR episode, and um, it's Eric and Rob. And I'm like, oh, well, hell yes. And I just hit that. <laughs> Because um, you got, we were talking in that chat with you, me, Rob, Keith, and Matt, and you were like, uh, uh, "We only we like, oh, we 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 only said like one or two bad things about you." I'm like, "Well, now I have to know what they've said." So <laughs> that's the way we got you to listen. Right? It, it is. It was the hook. <laughs> yeah, I got it. So damn it, I just listened for two hours, what? and they said nothing. Yeah, they, they said nothing. I <laughs> know oh, it was three hours. So. That conversation is, uh, yeah, me and Rob have that about once a week, that conversation. <laughs> like, you know, we're on the phone for a few hours. Several like of them that. sounded like you guys were going to drift off into the, <laughs> just think, man, how big the universe is. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, guys, like, reel it back. But That's okay. no, it was it was a good episode. It was um, it was good shit. It was good stuff. And I get I, the... I, I need to get the two of you to go to Australia if I have to put you in a box because at this point the two of you are so like 
withdrawal at this point. It, no, it's it's yeah. you guys gotta just get the hell out of here. Yeah, man. So it's killing me. It's killing me, man. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Me. I got but, that. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I have to ask, man. How's the tour? Yes. Oh, he's fine. He's okay. fine. Thank you All for right. that. I'm like, I am also seeing her, but yes, the tortoise was there. I would assume that she's fine too. But well, you know. dude, it's like we. Here's the other thing. We went to Gatorland, um, and uh, you know, I, we walked around. It was a fun time. We did the whole little tourist thing of like, oh, would you like to sit on an alligator? I'm like, I've never touched one. I'm like, yeah, shut up, move. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> take the tape off him. Let's do this for real. But um, uh, they had a sulcata at Gatorland. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. The biggest Alcada I've ever seen. And I'm like, you've you've doomed us. Look what you've done. Look at this. Look at this animal. And then think about the thing we have at home. Look what you've done to us. And yeah, like, and I'm like, people are probably staring. I'm freaking out in front of this tortoise habitat. Like it going Why like, he not like the tortoise We're, so much. What the hell? Look, look at how big it is. Like, yeah, yeah. I it was a moment. But um but no, it was good. Uh, uh I also went to the Bavard Zoo down there. Which was it, it was a small zoo, but it was a nice kind of tiny zoo that had uh, the enclosure like spaces kind of disappeared. And a lot of their Florida native stuff, they just put like a fence up and stuck the animal in there. And they're like, ta-da. So um, can't get any more natural it, than that. right? No, but dude, they had a Bushmaster. Oh, shit. And I've never seen one in person before. Hmm. So it, it's like on the ground underneath leaf litter, like, you know, what a Bushmaster does. Right. I'm like, something, do something, move, do something. I'm like. I've become that person at a zoo that I hate. And I'm like, come on. Nice. <laughs> I want to see you. It's like emeralds. And people are like, wow. I'm like, no, those are crap. Like, get the bush. <laughs> Poke oh. it with a stick. Poke it with a stick. Somebody open this door. It's like, yeah. Um, Do you find that when you go to these, um, you know, rep, like Gatorland or, uh, you know, that you uh, get in contact with the, the keeper or, or the person that's doing the presentation and, you start remember like sort of what happened to us when we were about to swim with saltwater Jump crocs, in the crocs, you know, thing. like yeah. Well, you start talking and then they're like, "Oh, you keep reptiles?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that that yeah. actually yeah. happened. We were signing up for at Gatorland. You could like for five bucks, they'll let you be on the fence to throw meat at the big gators. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. listen, are like okay, like <laughs> yes. Sure. If we feed them, we get to keep them, right? Like right. it's, and this is like the breeding pond, so like they've got like, they all they're massive animals with scars and one's got a messed up eye and they're like, that's plague. Oh my God. Dear God. <laughs> like, it's like, so the dude's like, Oh yeah, no, you're not going to be scared. Right. And Melissa just rolls into like, Oh, we have all these things at home. He's got all these snakes. He's got all this stuff. So the dude's like, Oh man, do you ever like slice the egg on the top and just let him sit there? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like it's no, he goes, we yeah, we try you know, we uh, we have some ball python friends of mine do that and you know, uh here at the zoo we kind of just let them hatch on their own. I'm like, that's what I do. So mm. but yeah, it's you, you kind of get talking with some people if they're into reptiles, it's Yeah, I would think that those you know, those keepers and whatnot are 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 with the general public you know, a good percentage of the time. Right. You know, asking those silly, you know Well, dude, they had the they had the photo thing where you can go and hold a uh, reptile yeah. say hold a baby gator with its uh -huh. tape shut or a pastel ball python yes i know <laughs> like, <laughs> like ooh, it's a pastel uh, oh my god how did you know that uh, I, I i know well, let's think it's like it, 
Gatorland had this big thing, which, which Gatorland was was nice. It was, it was um, I think it was really cool. I liked their setups with their salties, um, and then how close you could get to the Gators and stuff like that. Um, the one issue I had is they had the Burmese python enclosure, mm-hmm. and it was filled with four um, <laughs> albino labyrinth. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you just go to a show and be like, those. <laughs> like, it's. <laughs> well, at least they picked a good one. You couldn't yeah. get like a wild one? Like, no one's going to find that. Like, are you kidding me? So it. But it was cool. Um, and then I went, I went herping with KJ on Monday. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that we felt, saw a couple gopher tortoises. A bunch of pygmy rattlesnakes, which, dude, they have small dog syndrome. They're like this freaking long, but they are so, like, they're they're rattling, and you can't hear it because they're so damn tiny. (laughs) And and they're... You can't. You like. I'm like, I could lean in close. I'm like, venomous snake. No, no, I'm okay. So, um, and it was popping around. I mean, they were... It was perfect conditions. It was near sunset. It had just rained, and everything came out. Pygmies, a yellow rat snake. I saw two gopher tortoises, which they're bigger than I expect. Because like you're like, gopher tortoise. No, it's like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's big. And I'm like, I want to touch it. Wait, against the law. <laughs> like it's like, nope, no. So, um, and then there was an alligator. Like we were driving, and there's a juvenile alligator tromping around. So KJ whips his truck out, and we jump out, and he's like, dive on it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So. It jumps into the undergrowth. KJ's in it, like, and he's thromping around. He's like, God, I hope I don't step on a diamond back. I'm like, that would make this whole trip a lot more interesting. <laughs> so he's oh, trying to flush the thing. I'm coming around to the path, and I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden I hear something by my feet, and it's the alligator. It is now between my legs. And I'm like, so I try to jump at it, and it dives away, and now I'm on the ground. And then I jump at it, jump at it again, and it runs away, and then it's just gone. So I'm sitting there, and it's like, God, I missed. I, I, I've I've slowed up in my older age. Eighteen year old Owen would have got that thing, like, and I was right. mad the whole time. It's Man. like, God damn, sacrifice your body. Who cares if he bites the hell out of you? We've been there before. So yeah, I mean, you've it was... been chased by the most deadliest uh, venomous snake in Australia. Yeah, I know. I mean, brown snake. I mean, come on, <laughs> juvenile gator gets yeah. me to stutter step. I. I disgusted with myself oh, man. so but no it was it was a nice trip it was a good thing it was uh awesome the entire time i'm we're driving i'm like i need to find an e-. the entire time i'm with kj i'm like we need to find an eastern diamondback because you know i'm not going back to pa where eric's like i've seen timbers and coppers i'm like i need an eastern diamondback <laughs> need it yeah and we did it. so it was not from lack of kj trying it's from um it was one of those weird things where it rained a little bit Conditions were great. You had giant storm clouds everywhere. Snakes were all over the place. The road was nice and warm. And then right before sundown, it rained again, and then everything just stopped. Wow. Not a single animal was out there. Wow. It was like just that one more rain caused everybody just to shut down. Pause. Yeah. Wow. So Easterns are an impressive animal, man. They are. Yeah. That, you wouldn't have to lean close to hear that rattle. No, so. no, 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 no. Yeah. But no, it was it was cool. Um, next time I go down, I'm definitely gonna try to hit up KJ again to see if I can go hunt for some more. E- now, now I'm determined. Now I want that eastern. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was cool. My yeah, my dad had one of those. But when you saw the difference between the westerns and the easterns, the first ones he first rattlesnakes he got were westerns, and then mm-hmm. you know they were smaller. And um, 
they were cool. You know, it's the first time that I saw a rattlesnake. And then <clears throat> he he got the Eastern. And when, you know, he brought it home and its head's like that big, you know, <laughs> it's like as big as your hand. You're like, what's the thing is KJ, you know, KJ and I were talking. And he says that every once in a while he'll be driving down the street and you'll know the way an Eastern will be like, the, the, apparently they hold their head up and they hold their tail up. And you see anything moving like with a U kind of shape like that. Right. Or like a, a canoe kind of shape. Right. That Eastern. Okay. And he says he's been thrown off every once in a while because he'll be driving and he'll see like this tiny fat rattlesnake and he'll be like, oh, it's a baby Eastern. No, it's just a really fat pygmy. <laughs> like it's just like, a really, really big pygmy. Right. And he's like, holy shit. So it's That's it's just cool. one of those things. So it was it was cool. I enjoyed it. It was my little reconnect with the whole and the entire time he's like what was Australia like? What was this like? What was that like? I really want to do it. I really want to do that. He's hardcore into the herping thing, man. He's like, he he's like, he's determined to find every single snake in Florida. And then he's also like, Oh, I got spots in Georgia, dude, he's killing it. And he's telling me that he's going to go herp South Florida in a couple weeks. And he's like, Oh, it's almost berm hatching season. I'm like, no way. Are you going to find baby berms? He goes, dude, I'll send you pictures of me holding handfuls of them. I'm like, please don't. Like, I don't know if I want to see that. Like, I kind of do, oh, but I also kind of, no. I like to see that. Go find your own berms, dude. Yeah. This one and this one. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but wild, wild caught berms. I'll put these pythons. Yeah. <laughs> exact locality yeah. data. You know, there's no, uh, oh, yeah. no arguments. Think about it that way. I mean, like, it, it, and some of the rules in Florida are, I think, that you could. Um, Isn't Florida grab, going through some shit right now? I have no idea right now, dude. Yeah. Well, except, you know. The COVID stuff, which was fun. But, no, I don't mean uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean the. Uh, I I thought they passed some kind of legislation. They, they did. They did. I was reading about that because uh, Melissa and I were looking at it um, uh, against tegus and iguanas. Oh, I thought re- that, retics weren't in there too. No. Retics, retics are already there. I mean, they just what they did is they added iguanas and tegus to the same list that retics, berms, rocks. Anacondas and stuff of that are all on in Florida. Gotcha. Apparently, you cannot reproduce them unless you have a certain like educational permit license or zoological license. Okay. Uh, so they're like, I was reading the whole thing that they're giving people up to a certain time to separate their animals and make accommodations for the animals because they want to make sure that if any eggs are going to get laid, it's before uh, January 2021. So, huh. yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Dicey. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're going to do... Um, so, yeah, tonight we're going to be uh, switching gears a little bit. Uh, I thought we would mix it up and um, talk about knobtail geckos. We're still in Australia. We haven't ventured out. You know, we're still we're still in our favorite, our, our happy place, if you will. Um, but we're going to be talking with Phil Wolf. Some of, some of you might know him from Snakes and Stogies. Um, I think, well, let's welcome to the show, man. How you doing? How you doing, Phil? <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question like yeah, I didn't introduce you. I mean, wow. you have to it's bring cool, him on man. first cool. before you can ask him questions. Yeah. I'm only been doing this for nine freaking years. What do you guys do that? Like every, what, couple of days or something? It seems like you guys well, can't. Their lungs I mean, would give out. I mean, Jesus Christ. Well, see, Justin smokes cigars way more than I do because he works in a tobacco, you know, in a cigar shop. And right. I smoke maybe one or two a week, but he smokes every day. And 
it started off as being like just supplemental having fun, two dudes talking. You know, we were having these long in-depth conversations off camera and we we're like, you know what, let's just do, you know, Instagram live and go from there. And now it's right. on YouTube. Right. Right. That's cool, man. Yeah. I like the, uh, the, the, uh, laid back feel of the, uh, conversation, if you will, you know, just like, uh, yeah, feels like a bunch of guys just shooting the shit, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. That, that, that's the goal, man. Yeah. We're doing it. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, Justin gives, um, Cigars to everybody else I know. I still haven't got one yet, but you know, we all. Oh man. He and I will deal with that later. So. Well, I actually I brought select sticks for you and Eric at Southeast Carpet Fest, and neither one of you attended, unfortunately. <laughs> so oh, that's just. Damn. It. All right, that was good. <laughs> I had to work. I don't know what Owen's excuse was. <laughs> Owen, 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 Owen doesn't need excuses. Don't do what I do. He got married or engaged or whatever. Hey, shut up. Oh, man. Well, I'm I mean, like, I plan, on, I plan on coming up to Northeast Carpet Fest, and, you know, the one time that I finally make it up there, I'm going to forget my whole stick box. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, luckily, you have a whole year to remember because we're still That's we're still, still getting flagged for that one. Yeah. So, yeah. That kind of sucks. Anyways, let's, uh, let's start back on the happier note. Um, <laughs> Phil, why don't you tell us... <laughs> What got you started into reptiles? Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's pretty much just like we all do, you know, leopard gecko, rose hair tarantula when you're a kid, and, you know, it kind of spirals. And I got into snakes, man. I just love snakes. And I did, uh, I worked for a couple pet shops that were mom and pop. I worked for a couple, you know, corporate chain places. And my mom was completely anti-snake, as most of our parents were. And uh, I went up working at Underground Reptiles retail store. And when I was like 18... <laughs> And uh, I was opening the shop by myself, and one of the guys that used to work there, um, he wasn't like a venomous guy at all, but he was just there. And he said, hey, man, you really need to sit on some of these venomous classes that they have because, you know, you don't want to open the store one day, and God forbid something happens and there's a cobra on the floor. You need to know, like, what to do. And, man, I got hooked. It was, it was just solid from there. I was a venomous guy from there. And I did that for a bunch of years, and, you know, I worked for this importer and that importer and this shop and that shop, and it wound up being that I wound up teaching the class. And now I've been teaching the Venomous Mentor class at Underground for probably 13, 14 years now. That's awesome. I mean, that, 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 that's yeah. really cool. I mean, so what was the – I mean, aside from, like, your kid, you know, uh, tarantula and leopard gecko and stuff like that, what was the animal that kind of brought you – into reptiles deep like what was that what was that main what was the pebble that caused the landslide <laughs> honestly man this is gonna sound so cliche because we're on this show right now but rescuers down under bro <laughs> <laughs> rescuers down under just did it you yeah, know? Uh, yeah young owen was a little disappointed when he found out golden eagles are not that big so right, um, right. Was... <laughs> well like i always think it's hilarious because if you watch the beginning of the movie, they're yeah. at Uluru, you know, and then the rest of the movie is like 1300 miles north in like <laughs> Northern territory, almost to Darwin. Cause you look at the landscape as an adult and you're like, that kid didn't, you know, ride a that kangaroo did not happen. 1300 miles. <laughs> that did not happen. Yeah. But that's it, man. It was, it was, you know, going into pet shops as a kid. And, you know, I, I actually, I grew up the first half of my life. Well, not half of my life. I was, 15 when I moved to Florida and from mm -hmm. New Jersey originally. And you know, New Jersey's got some strict, you know, reptile laws and permits yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Right. 
And my mom was basically like, listen, you know, enjoy the leopard gecko and the bearded dragon that you have, you know, and then, you know, we might be moving soon for dad's work and we'll see what happens. And I got to Florida and the gloves came off, you know, <laughs> now there's reptiles everywhere. And now you've got places like underground and strictly reptiles and, you know, all these old school herpers, old school importers, old school exporters, and it just kind of falls into it, you know, yeah. and Australia is the best. There you go. <laughs> I, I like it. That works. So um, can you kind of tell us a little bit of some of your experiences with like in the reptile hobby? I know you said that you do the uh, venomous classes, but, you know, what other animals have you kind of come across that may be stuck in your mind a little bit? So I did a, I did a lot of cobra stuff and a lot of I did a lot of like high speed lapids because like I went through that kind of part of my life and I still love high speed lapids. But now in my my older years, as I should say, <laughs> I kind of focus on uh, some of the more terrestrial, uh, unique terrestrial vipers. And I, I got into a lot of arboreal stuff, some tremerceris and atheris and stuff like that. But um, basically, I kind of went through phases just like everybody else did. But the one thing that always stuck was Morelli, man. Carpets are carpets, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I took a break from snakes for a while, and I had, like, maybe, like, 10 or 15 just to kind of, like, keep me going. And and then I actually started talking to Justin and Jake and Billy and them and becoming more friends with them. And, like, it's re-sparked the whole surge of my passion. Hmm. And uh, and now I've got a I've got a handful of carpets. I just got a, a baby Queensland water python. And, uh, <laughs> and then I and – I, and, you know, it's just it's, – it's going. But knobtails – was always a goal and i just okay. remember being a kid and then like man i really want to get into these knob tails and nobody has them i've never even seen one in person and oh my god they see them on you know kingsnake.com and i see them in reptiles magazine when i was a kid and i'm like oh one day one day and then i was like wait a minute i'm a grown-up like, I'm, I'm a grown-ass man i can do this now right exactly and uh my good friend marcus uh uh he um he actually gave me my first uh, Amii, and it was okay. a big diesel like forty gram tank of a gecko, and I, God only knows how old it was. And I had that thing probably at least ten years, but he gave it to me because somebody gave it to him, hmm. and I was like, man, this is so cool. And working with that one gecko, I was like, you know what? I need to do this. I just need to go balls out and just get as many as I can without breaking my piggy bank because I'm still a you know normal dude, mm-hmm. and just start talking to people and getting as much information as I can and just my love for these stupid little geckos with no butts, you know, it, it, <laughs> it just, it spiraled, you know, and you make friends and Instagram was there. And I was like, you know what? I need to make a page that's for people that want to know about knobtails, want to learn about knobtails, want to see them in captivity, want to see them in the wild and just spread the love. So I made, you know, knobtails.ig and it's actually taken off pretty good because it's not a business i'm not i'm not breeding anything for sale it's just my personal enjoyment and spreading the love so to speak and i mean nice. that's just kind of where we're at right now that's cool nice so uh first i know you mentioned something a little bit ago um just for the people who might not know um a high speed lapid is that kind of what i think it is because i would say that would yeah. probably be mambas and anything else absolutely nightmarish yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it nightmarish. You know, you just got to know how the animal's going to, you know, you got to know what kind high of animal speed. you're working with. Yeah, it's high speed. I mean, yeah. you know, I've had I've had every single species of mamba. I've had, Jesus. you know, a handful of taipans, brown snakes, mulgas, you know, stuff like that. More cobras than I can remember. And, uh, and it's awesome, man, because 
you know, you're, you're, you, you can't play with the animal physically in your hands. You know, you can't cuddle it. You can't watch TV with it. So you have this different kind of view as to how am I going to enjoy said animal? So you observe them more, you watch their daily habits, you watch them, you know, and what they do in their day-to-day routine. And like that on itself is completely fascinating, especially when it's stuff that most people have never seen in person. Crap, half the time people didn't even know it existed, you know? Yeah, and, uh, I, I like, can I, see that. I, <clears throat> so I did a, a lot of that and like I, little things that you pick up from here and there, um, trying to, I've got so many things in my head right now that I want to talk about, but i like, for example, I had a, I had a King Brown that was like my favorite thing, bro. And everyone was like, Jesus. it's yellow and brown and ugly. Like it's just, it's muted <laughs> yeah, but it's brown. A King brown. Like that there's, it's a, it's a, it's a real Mulga, right? Yeah. And, uh, when I got him, he was an import and, uh, he basically was, I don't want to say he was smuggled, but it was basically Europe that went to Indonesia. And then the Indonesian guys were like, hey, we don't want this thing. Will you take it? And it went up going to Strictly Reptiles. And I went up getting, got him, I got him from Strictly Reptiles. And he had a gnarly scar in his eye. Like his whole eye was messed up. I couldn't figure out why for the longest time. And then I went up feeding him a, a live small rat. And he would sit there and let the rat chew on his eye while he envenomated it. And I realized this animal is so psychotic and so food driven that it's literally sacrificed that eye. Dude, what the hell? Right? (laughs) We actually, uh, we named him Mr. Bateman after American Psycho. (laughs) uh, Yeah. That's a good one. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't like to feed live too often because, you know, for obvious reasons, as most of the listeners of the show will know, you know, you don't want a $2 rat biting your thousand dollar snake, you know, but I did it more just because I wanted to see if my theory was correct. And every single time I fed him a live prey item, he would let that prey item chew on his eye while he envenomated it. And you would never, (laughs) you don't, you don't see certain intelligent aspects from other animals as you do with the stuff that knows it's high speed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it knows it knows it's uh, it's deadly. So yeah, yeah. Or like some of the mambas I've had that they're incredibly intelligent. You know, problem solving intelligent. And <clears throat> you know, you get you get a brand new baby mamba, you throw it in its enclosure, and you sit back and you watch. And you sit there for like an hour and you watch it. And all you see is its head twitching, and you're thinking, oh man, has it got a neurological problem, or is there you know got a, a breathing issue where it's huffing and puffing and breathing funny? It's like no, that snake is memorizing the entire cage. And then for the next four to six hours, it's going to go to every single little corner of that cage and test it to see if it can get out. Wow. Dear God. And like that, to me is, that to me is just fascinating. Wow. I mean, you know, yeah, awesome. but dear God. It stays in a cage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to have sick yeah, right? shit. Oh, my God. That's wild, man. Well, it is That's funny. Unique. I mean, you can ask, you know, Cody and some of the other guys that, mm-hmm. that do a lot of high-speed stuff and – they're all big and bad, and then you get them out of the cage. And like, oh crap, you got me. All right, I'll go in the garbage can, you know. So, it, it, do you feel like it's also a routine? Like, will the if, if a mamba's that intelligent, will learn the routine of what you do when you take it out and kind of go go through the paces with you? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, not so much that it knows the the routine in terms of like, okay, unlocking the cage in the front, sliding the vision glass open reaching in with the hook, pulling out the back end of the animal. Like it, even more so than that is it knows the individual person. You know, mm-hmm. we've had, I've had cobras that were on display at Underground's retail store um, 
for the training classes and stuff where, you know, it, it had no problem with me. It had no problem with, you know, Bob and Sally and whoever else. But when Kevin came around, oh, man, it hated Kevin. <laughs> and that cobra would be hooded up and biting the glass and just this ornery, angry thing. And we would ask ourselves, why does it hate Kevin? And yeah. he never could figure it out, but it definitely did. Maybe he, like Kevin was the first thing it saw when it came out of the bag when it showed up or I, hey, whatever. Dude. Yeah, who knows? So these venomous mentor classes, uh, can you kind of walk us through what they're all about? Like, are you teaching basic care of venomous or handling or, or what? What are, what are the classes? So basically, we used to have so Underground Reptiles has two facilities. They have a retail mm -hmm. store in Deerfield Beach that is basically your normal retail pet shop. And then they actually have a farm facility out west where they do all the import-export as well as most of the breeding and stuff. They have all the tegu cages and cyclora cages and all the crazy stuff that you'd want to keep outside in South Florida for breeding purposes. Mm -hmm. um, but for the longest time, for decades, we had like a little nook in the back of the retail store that was all blocked off and had all vision cages, and that was the venomous corner. And in Florida, you have to have so many hours of hands-on experience to qualify for a license to possess venomous in Florida. Okay. Uh, it used to be 1,000 hours, and then in 2016, they upped it to 1,000 hours per group, and now there's four groups. So they broke it down into um, vipers, elapids, colubrids, and gila's. Um, which is kind of crazy because, yes, you still need 1,000 hours of hands-on experience. For Gila Monster? Lizards. <laughs> you know it. That's it. So, uh, so what we would do is we would have, <laughs> right, we'd have two or three apprentices who would volunteer to come. You know, they didn't have to pay. They didn't get paid. And they basically would clean poo and handle snakes for however many weeks or months or years it took. Um, back in like what I would call the heyday when we had like, you know, six or seven apprentices going at once, taking turns, switching off days and stuff. Um, it would take the average Joe about, you know, two years going a couple times a week, a couple hours here and there to, to get the thousand hours. And then mm -hmm. in 2016, when they broke it down, now you're seeing individuals who are like, well, I only want to do Viparidae. So I only want to work with those or I only want to work with a So I only want to handle Cobras. And we don't do that because I try to be as well-rounded as possible to make the right. person as safe a keeper as they can. Mm -hmm. So it goes everything from just, you know, watching and observing to learning our routine, learning the snake's routine, and then going over safety protocols. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you remove the animal as long as it's done safely and properly so that the human's safe, the animal's safe, you know, the, the human is calm, the animal's calm. And basically we work on all, everything from hookmanship and hook technique, tool technique, to general husbandry. You know, certain mm -hmm. animals need certain care. And you know, oh, you know what, he's not eating, so let's change it up and do this. Or, oh, that lamp is too hot, let's swap it out for this bulb. And, you know, all these little things that, you know, a lot of other training sequences don't cover. And uh, I'm super big on technique in terms of, like, tool technique and hookmanship or mm -hmm. hookwomanship or however you want to call it, hookpersonship. <laughs> and, uh, and that's a big thing. So, like, all my newbies, I make them, listen, go out, buy a Venom Life Gear hook and, you know, Get working with a hook at home, even if you don't have any snakes. You know, start using your hook. Get two hooks. Get a 30. Get a 40. Start double hooking your couch pillow. You know, mm -hmm. start practicing the rolling your wrist, where your fingers are placed. You know, balancing the fulcrum and your index finger. You know, pressing the handle of the golf grip against your inner forearm. And just kind of getting the technique down. You know, I, I tell all my guys when you can perfectly single hook your TV remote control, you're ready to rock and roll. Oh wow. Oh, well, I got something to do now that I'm <laughs> furloughed. 
Owen's going to be an yeah. expert. And now I'm going to be playing with my hooks in my room. Oh, my God. It's going to be great. Eric. Eric, should we tell Owen that it's damn near impossible to single hook a TV remote control? Uh, that's, that, this sounds like a challenge. Oh my God, He's it's even spend worse the now. Next year in, oh uh, yeah, hibernation, yeah. Uh, trying yeah, to hook gonna, a TV remote. I'm right? Stop using my hands for like everything. I'm going to supermarket with my hooks. See, my my TV remote has like a little little loop on it, so you can put it around your wrist. So mind you, that's so you don't drop easy. it with your you know old man hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's perfect. Like yeah, it's a. <laughs> Oh, I mean, look, man. I got it. it. It's never cheating if you did it right. That's know? right. Dan. <laughs> and awesome. like, it's funny that we talk about TV remote controls and, you know, extension cords in our garage and couch cushions and stuff. And then I have these, these new venomous handlers who they do it and they come back and they're like, hey, man, I picked up my couch pillow like 40 times this week. You know, can I try this? Sure, let's do it. And they realize, oh, my God, he, it actually it works. You know, that that thinking outside the box and how I'm going to approach the animal with the said tools as extensions of myself, that's what it's all about. And that that's what I love is, you know, the, the technical education of it. And that's why I do it. Damn, you Mr. Miyagi them. He's painting a face. Yeah, wax on, wax cars. off. Yeah, guys. <laughs> all of a sudden he's you know <laughs> Holy crap. So. Yeah, I mean like not to sound not to sound like Bruce Lee or anything, but like it's water, man. You gotta be fluid, you gotta be liquid. Yeah. You know, I always tell people it's it's not breakdancing. Yes, the mamba is fast. Yes, the taipan is fast. But, like, it's not breakdancing. It's a waltz. It's a ballet. Mm-hmm. Everything is smooth. Everything is choreographed. Um, one of the things I always tell beginners in Venomous is, let's hypothetically say that a Venomous snake is only capable of five things, okay? Now, obviously, we know that that's, they're, they're capable of way more than five things, but let's assume they're only capable of five things. If you're prepared, both mentally physically and technically for all five of those things, it doesn't matter what the animal's going to do. You're already prepared for it, and you know that you can act accordingly and then counteract. So let's say it does numbers one and two, and all of a sudden it decides, I don't want to do number one and two. I'm going to go straight for number four. Mm-hmm. You still know what's going on because you built up the technical technique about it. Right. Oh, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, and also, would you say that you kind of need to be in a different mindset for different Venomous, because I mean, I I worked with a gaboon, and that thing was like lifting a sock filled with sand. It barely did anything, but then there was also yeah. a monocle cobra that kind of kept me on my toes. Yeah, and it's funny because my my friend Henry and I, uh, Henry helps me do all the venomous stuff, and mm. my friend Henry was just saying the other day that I have a really big gaboon. I got like a five and a half, six foot gaboon. It's a big female, and mm. that snake is so mad at the world. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's hooking it, you know, it's just this big, giant, lethal caterpillar. And <laughs> I love showing it to people because, yeah, it looks like a normal West African gaboon. It doesn't look like anything special. I mean, yes, it's beautiful. It has, you know, the geometric patterns and whatever, but everyone's like, oh, it's a gaboon. And they go to take it out, and the thing goes bananas. <laughs> and, like, that's a great, it's a great learning tool because it just yeah. going to show you. It doesn't matter how many times you pick up that sack of potatoes, there's going to be one sack that is not going to sit there on those hooks. Right. The one that's not going to be act like a normal gaboon. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I get and I'll that. Tell you, like the, one of the worst problems that me as a instructor has with snake people in general that come to do the venomous classes is I get people that are like, listen, you know, I've got carpets and I've got retics and I've got this and that. I'm like, that's great. But how many of them do you touch with your bare hands? Like, well, all of them. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? Yeah. Because now you can't, and I, I hate to sound like bad about it, but 
think about all the bad habits that you don't know you have as a yeah. normal snake keeper. No, it, yeah. you know, and I've many, thought about uh, that before. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, if you were to tell me I couldn't use my hands and try to double hook all my carpets out of the cage, I bet you I'd make an ass of myself because I've never double hooked them out of their cages. It's always the one yeah. to get a grip and then kind of guide them out with the hook in my hand. Yeah, I guarantee you I'd be looking like an idiot. You know, and, that and one of the <laughs> I, I, I'm guilty of it too. You know, how yeah. many times did I, I go over to my rack that has carpets in it, and I lift my fingers underneath the front of the drawer, and I start yeah, it open, and, and I stop myself and I go, wait a minute, which side of the room am I on? Because <laughs> it's it's venomous. If I'm on the right, it's harmless. <sighs> and I realize, okay, I'm on the carpet side. I'm I'm on the Morelia side. I'm good to go. But things like that, people don't. Think about it. and like I watch some of these. Don't even get me started on the whole YouTube video stuff. But some of these people, they just no one's told them mm. to not open the drawer with their hand. No, use the hook. It's why they got the nice little handle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you exactly. know what? You're gonna get bit on the knuckles by an angry adult carpet once, and then you will never make that mistake again. <laughs> right? Yeah. It seems like, I mean, like uh, as of late, like I don't know. Maybe I'm just being exposed to it. But like, it seems like everybody that's on YouTube that deals with venomous, for the most part is free handling at some point or maybe i'm just looking at the wrong people i don't i don't know man but it's just like holy yeah shit. well why they're like why you're not King you're Cobras not wrong and shit and i'm like what are you doing yeah <laughs> you're not that, you're not that? wrong you know uh brent brent venomous from venom life gear he put it great once he said mm. if there was no social media would you still say oh my cobra loves me and have to cuddle it no, of course not. It's I, what was it? they do that stupid thing on Instagram where they have the video and it's like the snake pass or whatever the hell, and you kind of pass the shit off screen, and then somebody else pretends to catch it, but it's their own animal. And like I'm looking at it, and I'm like, venomous, venomous, venomous. Stop it! Like why? Wait, like why am I seeing all these dimes? Like Jesus Christ! Stop it! Like yeah. Oh yeah. It's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just I don't know. You know no I was reason. Talking to Justin the other day about it. I was just, Justin was just telling me, he's like, yeah, man, I'm waiting for one of these girls in Germany to get tagged by a Boiga on the lip, you know? Yeah, mm. that, that, that's going to happen. And then you can have a bet. Like, dude, I could, I'm weary about my uh, Madagascar hogs because you can have a bad reaction to that kind of shit, depending on oh, what yeah. you're looking at. And you don't want, you don't want the first time you realize that this is going to be bad to be the last time you're going to like, you know, it's. One bite can be what kind of messes you up there. And I sent Eric a picture before we got on the show yeah, of a monocle cobra bite. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like it was just, oh, it was bad. Oh, yeah, it was bad. Oh, yeah. So nobody ever expects them to be as necrotic as they are. You know? Oh, my God. You saw the dude's hand bones. Yeah. It's horrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I, I, speaking of hognose, I, I had yeah. a guy back in the day who got bit by a blonde, a Malagasy blonde hognose. And at first he was like, oh, man, I just got bit. This hurts. Ow. And then, no kidding, for about three or four days, whatever reaction he had to that venom, it made his entire arm swell up to, like, mid-bicep. Oh, and shit. After the, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, after the three or four days, it, he stopped looking like the Michelin man, and now he has permanent joint pain in his hand from that bite. So I have I mean, three was, of those. <laughs> I was waiting for that. So I have three of those. They've never bitten me, but now I'm going to be a little bit more cautious around them. Yeah. Um, Jesus yeah, I, Christ. Yeah, yeah. I, rem I remember. And the problem is, is that 
you know, we're all guilty of it. We get overexcited and we do stupid things. I opened up the deli cups that my baby giants came in and I'm like, look at it. And it bit me on the finger immediately. And I'm like, well, I'm like, wait, they said they were rear fanged. Yeah. But the snake just opens his mouth up really wide. And then it doesn't matter where the fangs are. <laughs> right. It's right. like, well, that's, yeah, I should have seen that one coming, but nothing happened. But I'm like, I guess we're going to see what happens. Like it's, <laughs> that's it. But with something a little bit more, dangerous like a baby mamba baby rattlesnake you know pygmy rattlesnakes it you could be in a lot of trouble for one small oversight or brain fuck up i mean yeah oh yeah yeah we had a uh we had a black uh so boom slangs are sexually dimorphic right Mm -hmm. yeah so females are usually like a brown drab color with some green highlights males are usually those crazy lime greens with the black flecking or in some cases they're almost jet black and it's not it's not melanistic per se. It's just a, a black snake with some white highlights and some brown highlights. Well, I had a, a black male boom slang that was on display at Underground for many years. We actually named him Tyrone Biggums after that uh, Dave Chappelle skit because he was all black with white lips. <laughs> okay. And he was a crack. He was a crackhead. He was a legitimate crackhead. Right. right. And we used to. Have, I used to close. We'd close the retail store because I didn't want anyone. I didn't want people walking around when I'm taking this thing out. And there were some days when he would just ride two hooks, be perfectly fine, and then there were other days that he was grease lightning. And uh, I went up getting rid of him just because it was a, it was a safety issue. All I needed yeah. for him to go up to the, up a display case in the store, and now he's up in the ceiling tile, and I gotta gotta go, go up there and get him. So, but one time he yawned, and he yawned up against like a branch that was uniquely colored or knotted or whatever. So he yawned and was like, man, that's a really wide yawn because he's got to fix those fangs in the back mm-hmm. of his mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we measured, we measured that, uh, that little space on the wood, and it mm-hmm. was double the length of his head. Oh, wow. So he Jesus opened his mouth Christ. almost like, double. And, like almost like 175 degrees, like almost 180. Holy and, like, geez. you're expecting me to believe that that thing's going to bite me and it's not going to reach the fangs? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that that's the common... I mean, that's the common myth is that they bite you and then they chew you back to the fangs. No, no, no. They just make sure they get you with the fangs for the first go around, you know? You know, that, that, yeah. Damn. That's why mangrove snakes, when they gape, their gape is so wide and defensive because they've prepped those fangs in the back of their mouth. Like, they're ready. You know, they're not, they're not going to close their mouth a little bit and then strike. No, they're going to strike with it open, you know, 150, 160 degrees because they know that's how wide they need it to be to get the fangs in. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to still psychotic but non-venomous. So why why would you do water pythons to yourself? They're oh awesome. man, because this one, they're I mean, awesome. They're they're I love so them. So cool. Yeah, <laughs> but they're special. You have to be a special kind of crazy to want <laughs> to dip into just a brown psychotic snake. Yeah, it's yeah. So well, I told you, man. I like I like ugly brown snakes, man. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And like this one's super dark on top, with like a really creamy yellow belly. Yeah, sitting there with like a flashlight in my bedroom, like shining iridescence on them, you know. <laughs> yeah. No. But it was it was actually funny because after Billy sent me the video from your room, Owen, yeah. uh, last night, I was up late and I had the thing wrapped around my hand. It's super chill, very docile animal, and. Uh, 
I'm holding them and playing with them, and I started like going down the the water python rabbit hole on YouTube. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I come across this one video of one. I don't know if it's in an enclosure or someone put like underwater trail cams in like a creek or something. But you watch the snake like slithering underwater through like the silt of the creek, and I'm oh. like, oh my god, what did I get myself oh, into? Yes, I know okay. exactly what you're talking about. That is badass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh god, I'm gonna have to make a big enclosure and yeah, poo on me. It, uh, it, it's one of those things where I, I, I have renewed um, appreciation for my water pythons after seeing the ones in Darwin, both of them. The one we found in Fog Dam and the olive python wannabe, but it's just <laughs> like it was – and I think they're hit or miss. Either you have one that's really calm, really cool, or you have just a psychotic animal. Like I, it, it's either it's really gentle, really nice, or it's insane. So, so um, most pairs well, you know, have one of each. You know what did it? What did it for me was that one famous video of Steve Irwin on that Getting show. Bit on the neck. <laughs> and he gets bit on the neck. He's like, yeah, they're the really neck. classic. They don't bite. And then whack. That was like, I need one. <laughs> Gotta have it. It's like coiling around his throat and some sock puppet over there is like making faces at him. And it's like, <laughs> this is a normal day for somebody. Yeah. Oddly I love enough, that video. Right? The ones we found in the wild were super chill. Yeah. That's awesome. Super yeah, they were. That's awesome. Yeah. Really, uh, really calm. You know, I found the Indonesian one. That's, oh, and those, those ones you Minor had Indos. at Hamburg. Minor Indos. They were Indos, right? Minor Indos. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have two Indos. Oh, yep. They're evil, man. Indos they are. are evil. I don't know what My it is about knows. that. <laughs> That spot. Don't, but holy shit. Don't think about the Indos. Yeah, if you're going to get waters, stick to the Northern Territories. <laughs> but it's. Well, Queensland, <laughs> Queensland seemed to be the chill ones, but. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what um, it's supposedly Queensland. Yeah. So, as far as Morelia, what do you got cooking? I know you said you have some carpets. Uh, give us the rundown of your stuff. This is Morelia Python so, Radio, after all. Of course, of course. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> I had carpets on and off throughout the years. In fact, my first carpet I ever had was on. Oh, my gosh. It was Valentine's Day 2004, and I remember it clear as day. It was, it was a, a diamond jungle cross. I got into a huge fight with my girlfriend at the time on Valentine's Day, and she got all mad at me because whatever reason, I was like, screw this. I'm going to buy a new snake. And I went to <laughs> underground, and they had diamond jungles. And I was like, oh, man, a diamond jungle cross. This is amazing. Like, it's like the best of both worlds. Like, I'm going to get it. It's awesome. And it was, it was F1. And right. I named him. I named him Valentino for Valentine's Day, <laughs> and I. I he is. Uh, he's still around. He's actually at one of my friend's houses. I gave him to my friend because my friend wanted a big, impressive animal, and he's probably like seven and a half, almost eight foot now, and just full of piss and vinegar. But mm. I had carpets over the years. I had him. You know, I had some brettles here and there and whatnot. But I didn't. I stopped, man. I just kind of got out of it. And then, like I said earlier, you know, rekind or starting up friendships with Justin and Jake and Billy and all of them. I was like, man, I got to get back into this. Starting to listen to you guys again, I was like, I got to get back into it. So I've got mm-hmm. all baby or yearling stuff right now. I've got a, a pair of Brettles. Um, I've got a yearling pair of Darwins, and then I've got a trio of IJs that are all farmed, and they all three of them look completely different. Oh, you went you went full Eric Burke crazy. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Okay. He's one of us. I <laughs> see. Yeah, oh, I see. Oh, I see. I, I am, I am deep in the Aryan Jaya. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, and I specifically <laughs> call them IJs on purpose just to piss off Owen and Jake. <laughs> I, I, was there was there a big revelation with that in the episode that I didn't listen to about IJs? Because I feel like there was, and I missed it. So Rob gave this super detailed as Should Rob I does. Go back. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> as Rob does about the actual history of the name of uh, Erie and Jaya and oh, uh, God. No, talking about like the actual, you know, Papua New Guinea and the history right. of like when it was right. called, what it was called, and how that like sort of lines up with when they actually made it to the states. So, got it. Yeah. So, so called them IJs or Papua ones now. It's worth it's worth listening to if I do say okay. so myself. I will, it's, I'll, uh, it's really. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, you know, who cares? This is bad. You can see my face now. <laughs> We're screwed. Like... <laughs> you know, on the IJ front, you're screwed on either end. You know, you got some people that call them IJs. You got some people that call them Poplins. You got some people that call them Harrisoni. And like, you know, either, you know, like everyone that's in the other camp is going to say why you shouldn't call, you know, if you call it Harrisoni, it's like, oh my God, that's you know, Twiddle D's yeah. name that he made up. Like, holy shit, how can we do this? Why would you call it that? You know? Um, it, yeah. Well, that's that's like, for example, I always attribute it to Arian Jaya or IJs just because that was the original name. Mm-hmm. And like, if yeah. you look at some of the other species in the world, like, for example, Formosa Island cobras, mm-hmm. nobody knows where Formosa Island is. Well, that's because it's Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. You know, or you look at. You know, like my, my good friend Mark, <laughs> my good friend Marcus and I, we, we we kept a lot of different species of girdle tail lizards over the years. And you know, my personal favorite, which is actually the one that I continue to breed, is the Rhodesianus. Well, okay. there is no Rhodesia anymore because it's called Zimbabwe. Well, I'm not going to call it a Zimbabwe girdle tail. I'm going to call it a Rhodesian girdle tail. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. I I think personally, I mean, to me, they've always been IJs as long as I. I just think it's easier to say, you know. Yes. At the same it's two time. Letters. Is it, you know, I always felt like, is it one of those things that, you know, it's kind of like the incomplete dominant and co-dominant thing, you know? Like, it seems like the reptile hobby has sort of embraced that and changed that and used that correctly um, rather than, you know, incorrectly. So it's like, should we hold ourselves to a different standard, you know? And I guess, like, sometimes if you're, you know, I don't know, if you're going to be talking to, you know, more academic type people, you know, you kind of want to... You don't want to sound like a knucklehead, you know. Um, so use the terms correctly, you know. Yeah, it, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's one of those weird things. Well, but. how do the actual people say, we know are geneticists deal like the the people who actually we know are actual doctors deal with us? I don't understand it. I'm just Warren not throw something at his thing every day. He does. He does. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Hi, Warren. <laughs> But, uh, well, that's like the only person. The only person I will physically allow to call a ball python a royal python uh-huh. is Nipper. He's the only one who's allowed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Nipper can call him whatever he wants. Nipper, whatever he wants. <laughs> whatever he whatever wishes. Whatever he wants. Yes. Yeah, so uh, he took all my pygmy rattlesnake pictures, <laughs> fixed them, and sent them back to me. And I'm like, oh, thank you. So, so what he edited them and stuff? He fixed the yeah. He edited, re-edited them because they were like, yeah. He just he, he brightened them up, made them better, and then sent them back to me. Nipper, yep. I, I must Nipper. apologize. I'm so sorry that uh, I I, I it, will get Owen's camera him. skills up to a level. No, um, no you know, we I need training. Him, I, I will. I'm, I will I'm there the for shit out of him. Leave. You take the picture. <laughs> 
I make sure nobody walks into a crocodile pit. Yeah. Like that's we all have our jobs. It's Come true. now. But sometimes you solo fly, you know. So. I know I solo fly. I didn't I didn't bring a photography hobbit with me. You know, that was my problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Yoda on the backpack, you know what I mean? Exactly. I should have done that. We should right above, yeah. Would have been right at yet yeah, done. See? We need to get some sort of next next time we go to Australia, we'll have that harness. This way you can get pictures <laughs> oh, of things up high. Yeah. That reminds me. Yeah, that man. reminds me that Owen's outnumbered tonight because I'm only five six on a good day. Oh, son of a bitch. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Finally. Outnumbered. You bring oh, this man. is my return show? What we're is beating, this? We're beating him on the IJs. Uh, you know, we're beating him <laughs> on the height thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Did I become oh, the minority man. here? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about knobtails. Sure. Um, you know. Uh, yeah, man. Like, you know, well, let's, let's start with this. What are you working with? You know, I know there's what 14 species and subspecies. Um, I think most of them are right. in the so, trade, right? Yeah, almost all of them are in the U.S. trade. And I'll, I'll say U.S. trade because Asia is on a level that is wow. Like Asia knobtails is, I don't know where they they must have some kind of cloning machine or something because <laughs> they have some amazing specimens. Um, and then of course Europe has amazing stock as well. Right. Um, but almost all of them are represented. Like some people say there's 13 species because they, you know, will count subspecies, won't count subspecies. Some people say the underwood saurus are still considered, you know, knobtails, whatever. To each their own. But almost all of them are in the U.S. pet trade except for a couple. Uh-huh. Um, there's one newer species of uh, underwood saurus that is not because it's from the Pilbara. And it's a relatively newly discovered, newly described species. And there just isn't any. Another one that's not in the U.S. is uh, Shei, which is the Kimberly knobtail. Okay. And a lot of people have actually passed on. They're like, oh, I've, I just got these Shei from Europe and blah, 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 and they're worth, you know, 10 grand or whatever. And one of the biggest things with the Shei is they, their patterning is different than everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's indicative of the, the rocky alcoves and stuff outside, like Darwin and Kimberly and all that area. But their toes are banded. And that's even in, you know, Cogger's, you know, description in 1994, he specifically says, you know, they have banded digits. Mm -hmm. And you look at this gecko and his feet are brown. It's like, Uh well, you're full of crap. Yeah. yeah. But uh, right now, um, 2020 was a very bad year for all of us, as we know. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually lost a bunch of geckos and I lost some snakes. And we're, we're we're all hurting from 2020, whether it be with, you know, clutches or litters or whatever, or just animals in general. But Right now, I'm only, I only have pairs of uh, Synctus, which mm-hmm. is the most common knobtail in the U.S. pet trade. Mm-hmm. It used to be Wheeler Eye Synctus, now it's just Synctus, which is one of those things where it kind of didn't matter that they dropped the subspecies or they dropped the species name and just made it full species because everyone was calling them Synctus geckos anyway. Gotcha. Um, so I, got, I have a good handful of pairs of those. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, I had some... Amii that I was purchasing from a particular breeder, and I had such bad luck with them. And they would basically live for about six to eight months, and then they would crash and they would go. And I'm convinced that it was unknown inbreeding over generations. And mm. there's actually groups of individuals, whether it be on Facebook or in the real world or whatever, that are selectively swapping animals so that this isn't happening. So I basically told myself I'm going to hold off on geckos for I'm buying new geckos for about a year mm-hmm. and just kind of let people kind of fix their thing. Mm-hmm. Cause there's other guys that have massive, amazing collections. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist when it comes to this stuff, but right. 
Um, but right now, all I've got is I've got one male Levy's Levy's, which is the smooth gecko, and then I have a, a big handful of distinctives because, let's face it, they're the cheapest, they're the hardiest in the pet trade, right. and um, they're, they're, they're adorable, man. When they're babies, they're like bright neon orange or pink yeah, with man. black banding on their bodies. They're cool. They're adorable. Yeah. That's cool. And they're super cool. And, and having kept you know, a good number of different species, I can confidently say that if someone wants to get into knobtails, they're definitely the species to get because they are way more forgiving than some of the other harder species. And they're not that expensive. You know, uh, most people sell their babies for 250, 300 bucks, which may seem like a lot for a terrestrial gecko, but they're worth it, man. They're awesome. Isn't it weird how like, even in my head, like you, I, I remember walking around the uh, Tinley Park with Rob, and we were looking at these different, um, you know, uh, knobtails and stuff. And I think I yeah. want to say there was an albino there, and that's what Pilbarensis is that the the, the one that's yeah has an albino. So, okay. Yeah, it's it's a subspecies of the smooth. So you have uh, Levy's Levy's, which is your standard smooth, and that takes up the majority of the central continent of Australia. And then you have uh, Levy's pilbarensis, which is strictly endemic to the Pilbara region. Mm -hmm. And then you have Levy's ossidentalis, uh, which is off of that one coastal region on the extreme far western side in the Indian Ocean. Oh. Um, those ossidentalis are are in the pet trade. Um, they're usually really light colored, lots of yellows and like lighter hues to them. And they usually go for a lot more money. The problem is a lot of people have unknowingly crossbred them with pilbarensis or crossbred mm. them with normal levies just because there's so little of them, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, the pil but the pilbarensis are the ones that do produce the most albinism, and those are the ones that the guys are really trying to selectively do, like the patternless and the high, the high contrast, you know, bright, bright tangerine orange look into them. Um, and there's actually a theory that, Every single pilbarensis in the U.S. market and the majority of Canada is actually head for albino, just because they were the albino ones were so bred within that almost everything is head. Um, yeah, I could, yeah, I, I've heard that happen with certain other species where it's just because there wasn't that many, everything's got it. Like what is it, tannin bars? You can produce, you can breed two tannin bar scrubs and get all of them, you know, all the different colors and more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I believe it. But I remember walking around the Tin, Tinley show and I seen that. And there was, you know, I was I can't remember what the price tag was, but it was up there. And it was like, mm. you know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, that's a lot for a gecko. You know, and then I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Like, well, <laughs> shit, I would spend that much on a snake and not think twice. You know, it was like, why is it in my it's head? It's weird that, when we like, do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, why, why is it? Because it's smaller or it's like more fragile or like somehow I, I think it should yeah. be. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's my dumb snake brain. No, no, it's a snake brain. It's a snake brain because it's like I got to get new tires put on the car. It's like 500 bucks. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, really? I drop that in rodents like every month. Like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. Where I'm like, that's a lot. And I'm like, rodent bill? Sure. It's like, yeah, I don't. So that's cool. Yeah, it's, so, it's, yeah, it's mental priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, Thank you. <laughs> that's not that bad. That's, yeah. that's a yeah. decent price. I mean, like, people tell. I, I have an iPhone 6, and everyone yells at me. They're like, dude, your battery's dead again. How come you don't spring for a new phone? You know, just get a payment plan. I'm like, dude, it's dollars for a phone. And they're like, dude, you just spent $1,000 on a, a pair of whatever. And I'm right. like, yeah, but – and they're like, well, you don't use that gecko every single minute of your day, do you? And I'm like, oh, God, you got a point. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. Yeah, you that's got a good me. one. Uh, okay, so – Okay, and is that that's that's 
pretty much the group that you're working with. Is, is there any that you want to yeah. want to add at some point? Uh, you don't. I do. So my, my my favorite is the Asper, which is what's called the prickly knobtail. They're found uh, primarily in Queensland, almost the entire territory of Queensland. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually have a couple friends in Townsville um, that. I met through just liking geckos, and uh, my one good friend, Elliot Budd, uh, he was at uh, James Cook University, and he was actually doing a bunch of research on in the field on aspers and, you know, the um, territoriality and different ecosystems, and he actually devised a radio tracking system that he put into, like, a tiny little micro backpack, so he had licenses Oh, yeah, I have videos of it he sent me. It's breathtaking. So, oh, that's awesome. So Elliot would basically, he would go out in the wild, and he had licenses from the state and from the territory and from the federal government to basically go catch these geckos, and he would put the little backpack on them, and he would Are let them serious? go. And, oh, yeah, and he would spend 18 to 20 hours with a radio tracker just watching them go. And he actually discovered that most of this species of knobtail will traverse over 100 yards a night. Holy and they almost always come back to their original home where they started. And that makes me feel like a complete jerk because I keep my geckos in a 16-quart tub. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Well, it's, it, I mean, first off, the prickly knobtails are gorgeous. I just pulled them up on oh, Google. Amazing. I mean, oh, my God. Uh, you got to look at those Cape Yorks, the ones that look like zebras. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dude, I don't know why, but I've always kind of like – I've always been into knobbies. I, I, I like the knobbies. I think we did one episode with, is it Justin that works with them? No, well, we yeah, did it with Justin and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. who was we, his partner, we did, Steve, uh, Steve Yeah, Sharp? ever Steve since Sharp? we did that one episode, I'm like, God, I love knobbies. If I was ever going to lose my mind into geckos, it'd be them, but um, yeah. no, no, <laughs> so, <laughs> too much shit already. Go for it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> well, now we know something going, you know. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> And what's, what's crazy is ever since I started the, the Knobtail page on Instagram, like uh -huh. I get all these people and, and just talking and communicating and making friends and sharing knowledge. And cause let's be real. A lot of the gecko people are not apt to share their knowledge that they personally gained. No different than many of the Python breeders do. You know, it's almost like, mm -hmm. Hey, I'll, I'll make sure that your animal's okay, but I'm not going to tell you the, the trade secrets that took me 20 years to learn. Mm -hmm. Right. And like part of me, part of me can respect that. You know, you, you kind of have the attitude of, well, I did it. You can, too. Just do your homework. But the other part of me is some of these, some of the time it's not attainable. So, like, for me, I went on this, like, gecko crusade, and I've been looking at research documents and scientific journals from, like, the 1800s and looking up and trying to find as much information as I can to try and further me because no one wanted to tell me anything. No one wanted to share their information. And now that I have the page going and people kind of see like, okay, I'm not just some guy who's flipping geckos for money. They're a little more apt to communicate and stuff. And what's, it's amazing because I'm learning all this information, but at the same time, I get these guys who are breeding, you know, prickly knobtails, and they're like, hey, man, I just had a litter. I just had two uh, clutches of Asper. Are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, how much? He goes, well, I'm going to put them up for 5K each, but you know what? I'll do... I'll do like 6,800 for the pair. And I'm like, oh, my God, no, I can't. <laughs> no, just, uh, uh. Wow. I mean, do you, do you also get contacted by people in Australia who think you're there? Because, I mean, that happened a lot of it for us where they're like, hey, would you be willing to sell me this thing? I'll be like, yeah. They're like, can you ship to Queensland? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it's. Sure. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's funny you bring it up because, like, I've mm -hmm. actually had people that, 
hit me up for the weirdest stuff. Like I had someone message me from Poland and he's like, Hey, look, I'm looking for these Australian spiders. Can you ship them to me? And I said, no, I'm in the United States and Australia doesn't export any wildlife. And he's like, Oh, I got a guy in Alice Springs. He'll just ship him in the, in the post. And I'm like, all right, don't okay. eat, I'm out. You have fun with your you illegal know, smuggling. Yeah, it's like, I don't... Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus I'm out of that Christ. one. But I'll tell you, <laughs> the one thing that I do notice the most is because it is a page of cute, cuddly, little, adorable, little baby uh, geckos, yeah, okay. I get all these young girls that start following the page, and then they'll see the story, and they'll realize that I'm a fat, bearded guy, and they're like, <laughs> unfollow, <laughs> unfollow. <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> that's that's a shock to the ego. <laughs> it's like, it's... oh, I, I don't care. It's not. I'm not. I'm not on there to meet girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Share the gecko love, man. Right, right, right. That's they're awesome. I mean, that's so cool. It, we 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 had a chance like to see Nobbies where we were. We just struck out. I think. Um, yeah, I think not... it's, I think it's it. People that find them are the ones who specifically go out looking for them. It's not like snakes. So, like, me, with me and snakes, if I go, like, I heard you talking about going out with KJ and stuff, field herp in Florida. Like, I've field herp the crap out of Florida. I love where I live. I love field herp in Florida. But if I tell someone, hey, man, let's go out there and try and find an anery corn, you know, just like a wild anery corn, and we'll drive for, like, hours and not find nothing. <laughs> and then my one buddy will be like, hey, man, I went looking for jumping spiders, and look what I found. He finds six anery corns. This is how it goes, you know? <laughs> That's what KJ was saying. He's like, he's like, dude. Uh, just so you know, I took a friend out last week and we struck out. I'm really freaking hoping we don't strike out. I'm like, yeah, well, you yeah. know, it don't matter. I haven't said, dude. I I haven't herped anywhere in Florida, so everything's new. Like, it'll be fine. So yeah, but, yeah. And dude, I saw those pygmies you posted on your on your story. And those pygmies were champion pygmies. They were cool. They were so cool. They were they were little Eric Burks, just nasty little attitude and a tiny little body. Yeah. <laughs> Mad at me for yeah, standing there. A, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I keep a handful of duskies myself, and uh, dude, I love watching them little things. We call them the lethal sprinkler because <laughs> you don't you don't hear anything until right. you're too close, and you just you just hear. Yeah, they they were they were so cool. I mean, it was it was reminiscent of Australia. We're driving down a a crappy dirt road back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then it was snake. And then the car comes with the truck comes with screeching halt and everybody bails out. It was great. Loved it. That's so, awesome. That's the way to yeah. do it, man. Oh yeah. Do it. Oh yeah. It was fun. But, uh, I'm actually planning, uh, my, my friend Elliot, I was telling you about in Townsville, I've actually planning a trip to go. It was supposed to be this year, but COVID kind of messed that up for me, but yeah. uh, he has, Aside from him having the permits to be able to like touch stuff in the wild, at least with the geckos specifically, um, he has friends all over the entire continent. So we're cool. going to try and map out maybe in the next year or two. Uh, he has GPS coordinates of where everything is. So yeah. like a three-week thing, tour the continent, catch, see as many snakes as we can, see as many geckos as we can, and just do it up. You know? Yeah, That's dude. Awesome. NP- NPR style. Yeah, dude. You're gonna. You're gonna. Fucking lose your mind, man! I'm telling you. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, especially if you find a, like a knobtail in the wild. Oh. I mean, it, it, yeah, ain't nothing like seeing the shit you keep in a box at home where it's supposed to be. Oh yeah, you know, we, we were, the absolutely. first trip when we were in Queensland, we were in um, Chilago, and I thought for, I mean, to me that looked like prime time uh, knobby habitat, and you know, it's just like you would picture the outback, rocky outcrops, that kind of thing. I'm imagining that's, right, right. you know, what they're 
where you're going to find them. Oh, and yeah. Everything, you know? um, but, uh, oh, yeah. We, we Barren out. wasteland with microclimate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah. okay, so you set these guys up in tubs, you know, um, is that like the standard way to do this? Or, you know, I know you were saying about how, you know, the study kind of makes you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I look at it like this. <laughs> I, I do. I feel, I feel a little bad, but at the same time, it's they're more than content with the life that I've given them in terms of they're eating more than they would in the wild. They're mm -hmm. drinking more than they would in the wild. They don't have the harshness of the Australian outback like you guys have obviously witnessed. Right. So I don't feel that bad about it. I have one, I have one, the levees, levees that I have left. Um, I have him set up in like a naturalistic vivarium, so to speak. I mean, as vivarium as you can get for, you know, arid environment. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I have, I have, uh, heat light on him. I have a small halogen on there just to bring the temps to where I want them, uh -huh. but he does not come out in daylight. There is no daylight traversing or peeking your face out or anything. It is strictly a nocturnal species. So on everything else, I don't have lighting just because there's, they're, they're not going to come out. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's no studies. There's not enough study on their nutritional basis in the wild to compare it to nutritional basis in captivity in terms of vitamins and D3 consumption and D3 production. You know, there's a whole paper that basically says that, you know, leopard geckos don't need calcium or don't need D3 because they make their own. But nobody knows about this with, with knobtails. Like, it just doesn't, like, the, the information isn't there. Right. So I still use multivitamins. I still do D3. I still do calcium. You know, I dust all the food. I vary the diet. They just, they don't have any lights. That's just how it is. Yeah. And I, I mean, do tubs. We, we've, we've kind of heard... I'm sure all of us have heard people argue that, you know, even, you know, nocturnal animals, which I, they, if they're not coming out, how are they using this, like, <laughs> lights or UV or anything like that? You know, I, I don't know. To me, that just doesn't make sense. If they bed down in a dark place, it's still dark. <laughs> like, you know. It's... Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, you're not even if you did have these in a naturalistic setup, you're not going to see anything till night. But nighttime, game on. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, okay, game on. And it's funny because uh, I will creep in the room mm -hmm. and like sneak sneak around the countertop to like watch him in the in the dim lit, you know, from like the the the, the hallway lights on, but the kitchen lights off. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I'll watch him, and like he'll be stalking a cricket and like wiggling his tail, and like his pupils are gigantic because he's soaking up all that light. Mm -hmm. And then the minute I walk over, he just stops. And like it, it's almost one of those things where like the hunter talks about, oh, I felt the lion creeping up behind me. Like it's the same kind of thing. <laughs> right. And I watch him, and and he he's like something is here and it's watching me and he just I'm being watched like, by something yeah right yeah slunks back into his little hole in the ground but uh it's it's awesome man it's awesome to watch him at night and just do their thing like, I need to find night fish that's what I need to do <laughs> he's go. sitting in a you corner know? of your kitchen with these little green eyes just peering into the yeah, right? through that iPhone 12 <laughs> yeah. man you need yeah you need no night just do fish. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can imagine my, my roommate comes in late, you know, par, going out to the bar whatever. he comes in late, sees me sitting there in a chair with night vision on, just staring at a glass tank. You just gotta, you just gotta turn to him and be like, sup? Like, and then just turn back. Yeah, like, exactly. Pretend like nothing else is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. But uh, in terms of, in terms of the tubs, people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, do you do paper towels? Do you do sand? Oh, what if they eat the sand? And then I get, my my personal opinion is they're from the <laughs> desert. Desert. 
There's sand they're there. Going, right. They're going to eat sand. Now, let's, let's, let's get a little technical if we can for a second. Mm-hmm. If I put a gecko on just straight sand, obviously yeah. every time they dive bomb a cricket, they're going to get some sand in their mouth. They're probably going to get more than they do in the wild because in the wild there's gravel and rocks and plant life and vegetation right, and right. God knows what else. Sure. So I try and not keep them on straight just sand, but at the same time, I am the weirdo, and I've cut open gecko poo to make sure that there's not, like, a giant clot of sand in there. And there's some speckles here and there, but that's their diet. That's their way they do life. You know, they live in the desert. They're going to eat sand. They're going to pass it out, you know? Yeah. So all my tubs, um, they're, for the most part, they're 16-quart. And then for the baby stuff, I have, like, some 10 or – I think they're maybe 10 or 11 quarts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost filled halfway with sand. Jesus. And that's so that I can I can mist them down several times a week, and then the wet compact sand lets them dig tunnels, and that is the coolest thing ever because now you see this gecko like all night long just digging tunnels, you know what I mean, like like lemming, just making this tunnel system, right. and then in the morning it's it's gone. Oh shit! Like they did it for the night, and then it's gone. Sometimes if I spray too much moisture and, like, it really gets in the sand, it's thick, it'll be there for, like, a day or two, and then they'll knock it down they'll build another one. So Is it just the, the hide people, in the tunnels? Or, yeah, like, they're not, like, say. yeah. Are they hiding or finding yeah, they, they, food? Or? They're, they're all the above, I guess. I mean, That's sometimes so weird. They'll, they'll make a... Yeah, they'll make a little nook, and they'll, like, sleep in there for a day or two, and then they'll make another new little nook. And, like, I have some, some of my female synctus. They just sit on top of the sand. They just chill. You know, because they're in the dark drawer. They have ambient light because, like, obviously the room is a bitch black. It's, and when the sunlight comes through the window, they're just mm-hmm. sitting there chilling on the sand. No different than it would be if they were inside of, a, you know, an acacia bush or, like, under some, some, some rock crevices or something. They're still going to see the light. They're still going to know what time of day it is, right. but they're just going to tuck themselves back in the shadows. Gotcha. So are you using hides for these guys? Are you, like, flipping over to, like, a flower pot bottom type of thing? Mm -hmm. Or, like, is it? Yeah. So right now what I've got is um, I don't do water dishes. Basically, I do misting, and Mm -hmm. they hate it when I spray them, but the minute I stop, they appreciate it because they lick the dew off their own body. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're we're talking about an animal that lives in the, the harshest, hottest environments possible during the day with some really cold and almost frostbitten nights, but in the rock crevices, in the nooks, in the acacia scrublands, you know, in the, um, the spinifex grass. Like, there are certain species like uh, Stellatus and Delini and Levisimus that live in the root systems or in the sprout systems of the spinifex grass in the sand dunes, right. and that's where they live. That's their whole life. That's insane. So every morning... Right. Every morning, the moisture is going to come. It's going to stick to that plant life. It's going to stick to that rock. And that's where we have those those microclimates. So they're going to drink the dew off the walls. They're going to eat the bugs that are coming to drink the dew off the walls because outside of that little nook and cranny is the hot harshness of the outback. So I try and replicate that best I can in a tub. You know what I mean? And what I've got is I've got some flat flat pieces of shale that I'll stick in the sand at different angles. Um, and then I have some pieces of cork bark that I'll do the same thing. I'll just shove them in there at different angles, still giving them room to make quote unquote tunnels. But if they want to just hide behind the cork brown, the, the cork piece, then they, they can. They can. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So do you miss, you said you missed them, what, daily, you said? Um, I try it? and do it like every, 
Every I try to do it like every two or three days. Okay. Yeah, just because the tubs get so much humidity that like it'll run down the walls, and you can, you know, you see it kind of fogs up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't want them to be soaking wet and get any kind of blisters mm-hmm. or any kind of fungus or anything. So, if that does happen, I'll wipe the walls of the tub down, but I'll leave the sand moist and let it kind of dry out for a couple of days. And sometimes I'll even go a whole week without misting them at all. You know, and uh, uh, the one that I have set up in the naturalistic enclosure, like in the glass tank. That one, I only missed him maybe two to three times a week. But when I do, I soak it down as if it had rained. Gotcha. Okay. That that makes sense to me, is sporadic stuff. Because, I mean, I remember one time I, I took uh, one of my Jags to the vet. And they're like, are you missing every day? And I'm like, no. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, because it didn't rain every day. And they're like, you should yeah. really up the humidity and mist every day. I'm like, no. Can you please just give me the medicine that I came in here knowing I needed so that I can leave now. It's like, this. yeah, yeah. sometimes people are just set in the ways where, you know, sporadic things like rain, sporadic things like feed schedules are actually, in my opinion, better for them. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, It's it's funny you mention that because I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, my snake had a bad shed. Now I got to do a rain chamber. And I'm like, okay, do the rain chamber, miss mm-hmm. them down, you know, get the shed off, make sure the tail tip's good, blah, blah, blah. And then once you do that, start observing them drinking. Make sure mm-hmm. they're staying hydrated. Because people don't think about that. They're like, oh, it, it, there wasn't enough humidity in the air, so therefore their skin was dry. Well, no, not quite. Yeah. Because you think about the new skin is being made underneath the old skin, right? right? And it's staying hydrated in the body, in the epidermis, whatever you want to call it. And there's always that thin oil membrane that gives that fresh snake look, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they're dehydrated internally, of course they're going to have a bad shed. Mm-hmm. So I've actually had times when I, whatever it was a, a cobra or it was a carpet or whatever, where I noticed that their, their shed's getting crappy. Instead of hosing down the cage with water, I'll put them in a container with an inch of water for like two or three hours. Yep. And then I'll do it a, a couple days later and just like almost like force them to drink. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, it, uh, and I don't want to say it's a guaranteed fix, but it does help to some degree, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, once they're uh, my white lips, when they when they go blue, they spend like 20 minutes in a bin with water. Just and then yeah. I make sure they got their, their their water bowls are filled to the brim. And um, I still get crappy sheds from them because they're idiots. But um, <laughs> since I've been start, since I've started soaking them, I'm like my 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 black face has been shedding. Complete sheds, and that's a relief to not have to hold down a white lip to peel the one oh, stuck yeah. shed under their chin. Like, yeah, no. So, yeah, it's it's yeah, all. But very everyone important. loves Liza's kisses. <laughs> oh, of course, they're just full of teeth and wonder. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. So we yeah, man. We talked we talked light. So what about temps? Like, I mean, because obviously they're using these micro climates and micro habitats. Obviously, yeah. they're not. You know, yeah. it's not one hundred and six degrees. <laughs> So wait, right, right, don't right. set it to 110 degrees. No. <laughs> so I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of lazy in this regard, and mm. I'll admit it. So the of the racks I have, only one of them has the actual night drop. The rest of them are just constant. And okay. I know it's wrong, but I do drop them for the seasons. So when it's winter, it, the temperature gradually gets dropped. And I have different temps for different species for different breeding cycles, of course. But right. for the most part, I'm looking at like 85 at the hottest spot and like 71 in the cool spot. Okay. And, and that's from like literally back of the tub in front of the tub. 
And the room that they're in is actually a colder room. It's like 70, 71 most of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, which I hopefully, you know, if I can play my cards right, there'll be diamonds in the future. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that being said, um, I try and give them that much range, even in their tub, because I'll see them and they'll be sitting right on the hot spot. And then 20, 30 minutes later, they're, you know, two inches to the right because it's not that hot over there. And they just, they go where they want. They get comfortable and I leave it be. I don't, I don't push one temperature or another unless it's winter time, in which case then I know I'm going to gradually drop my temps over the course of say 30 or 50 days. Mm-hmm. And because I know the barometric pressure outside is going to change, you, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I know they're going to feel it. I know they're going to know it. And instead of them being in there going, why is it so hot? It's winter. Right. You know, right. it just kind of yeah. gives them that gradual thing and go from there. Just kind of play it by ear. Cool. So what about, I mean, you're in Florida, so humidity isn't an issue for you. But what if somebody was from somewhere where humidity might be a little tougher um, just naturally? What is that like where most people are using those like humid hides and stuff like that? Yeah. And I actually, those humid hides are phenomenal if you get the right one. So okay. I don't want to say, I don't want to say name. The, what are the um, terracotta or? Yeah. So, okay. so the terracotta ones are the best. And okay. the, there's, there's a couple companies out right now that are making them and they're, I'll be honest, they're total garbage. They're, they're not good. Mm-hmm. They're not what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the best ones that were ever made, and this is the story that I got from several other breeders, is that they were made in India. And basically it was terracotta and the top of it was a water dish but the mm-hmm. water dish would only stay full for like an hour because that water would seep into the terracotta and then it would cause dew to be on the inside walls of the of the cave and that's right. what you're going for you don't want a water dish you want dew on the inside of the cave and those ones from india they would order them by the hundreds and 80 percent of them would break in shipping right so like sim container stopped buying them right exactly yeah. so like sim container used to sell them and mm-hmm. now they don't because it just wasn't it wasn't lucrative. And I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple companies in Europe that make them and they'll ship. But, you, you know, who's going to spend, you know, thirty, forty dollars in shipping for an eight dollar hide that is 80 percent chance going to break in shipping? You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, Pan, um, I'm pretty sure Pangea just came out with a really cool one where it's a sponge. And there's a sponge on top and you hydrate the sponge and the sponge seeps down making the dew. But here's the problem is that you need to change that sponge frequently because now you're just building bacteria. Yeah, say, that's, a, building, that's a bacteria factory. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I know a couple of friends uh, that are hobbyists that have tried the Pangea ones and they say they work like a million bucks, but they only use it for two weeks and they throw it away and they buy a brand new sponge that is, you know, uh, uh, not what they call it, uh, antimicrobial or whatever mm-hmm. and synthetic and it's got no dye and whatever else, and then mm. they use that, and they, you know, they get a big one, they cut pieces of it off, and they go that route. Um, but I would love to get my hands on some of those Indian ones, but again, I've, I've never even seen one in person because they're just unavailable. So for me, I'd rather do the misting. You know, I have the Exoterra black top handle pump sprayer thing, and I just missed them, you know. Uh, and you mentioned Florida being overly humid. I'm sitting outside right now. It has got to mm. be 100% humidity. I am sweating. But in the room right now, <laughs> right? But <laughs> right? But in the room right now, if I have I have hygrometers on most of the females just to kind of keep an eye on it. Uh-huh. Uh, the little tiny like cigar looking ones that Exoterra used to produce. Um, yeah. I have those in there, and it's only like 37, 42 percent. Really? And then I'll miss them. And, and oh yeah, because 
we have air conditioning units uh, and we have ducking mm -hmm. and we have insulation. And just because it's 100% humidity outside and we're sweating when we walk from our door to our car, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that that's what it's like in your bedroom right. or in your snake room. Right. Yeah. So I, I still have to compensate for a lack of humidity, even though it's Florida and I'm dying right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah I know. And like, like a lot um, of times. People in Texas, uh, a lot of times, will have, you know, I know Rob talks about it in Colorado, too, where the humidity is like nothing, like zero. So you're not even starting from yeah. any kind of base or whatever, you know, something like that. I'm sorry, right, I cut you off. Right. What were you going to say? No, no, I mean, that's, you, you basically said what I was going to say is that oh. I'm sure there are people out there that are, you know, higher elevation and have a lack of humidity or lower elevation, you know, in a valley or whatever and have no humidity. Yeah. So I've told people in the past is, Instead of just spraying down your enclosure, your tub, right. you know, move the rock, hose that rock down, then put the rock back down, you know, because it's going to stay in there for longer. Right. Um, yeah. Some people have used sphagnum moss in like uh, in like a hot little hide bowl. Okay. I don't like that because I've had too many animals, whether it be geckos or lizards or snakes, accidentally consume sphag, and they can't pass it, and they get constipated, mm -hmm. and they get impaction, and it's a whole big thing. Right. So, so, I mean, if you're going to use, um, like, SPAG to raise humidity, I say do it in, like, a little screened enclosure or, like, or one of those deli cups that have the fine mesh on top for, like, arachnids. Right. Right. And then that way, that way, if there is a cricket on top of that box or there's a dubia roach on top of that box, when the gecko dive bombs on it, it's not getting a mouthful of moss. Gotcha. So yeah, because the moss learned... is way more harder to adjust. Right. Mm -hmm. So what we've learned, sand good. Moss, moss bad. bad. <laughs> okay. Moss bad. Dude, I, <laughs> and, I, and I just pulled up those terracotta hides. God damn it. I wanted these for my white lips. And <laughs> I'm like, I should have bought oh, them when dude. I got it. Yeah. Damn it. They need to make a big one because could you imagine they if you do. Had a well, big I mean, one it's for not your white huge. lips? Oh, yeah. That's, oh, God, yes. I'd have, yeah, that I'd would have be tons. perfect. Yes. For It'd them and the ring. Tight, dark. Human uh, space oh yeah, to man. hide, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, like those those classic black plastic square rectangular hide caves. Imagine that, where the top of it is ceramic, and if mm -hmm. you give it out, so now you have your little water bowl. You throw your Bismarck in there. He chills in the water for a couple hours. He says, "You know what? I'm ready to go in the darkness." Slithers up in there, and now and it's time to clean the humidity. Cave. You just yeah, lift the thing up. Yeah, you're in yeah. business. Yeah. Go. All right. Um, anybody out there, if you work with terracotta and want to get involved in the NPR terracotta hide project, you shoot an email to info at MoreliaPetonRadio.com. We're going to get this shit made. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I will not rest. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna buy stock in bubble wrap. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> Owen's in quarantine. He's determined to make reptiles a business. Uh, I'm whatever, furloughed. I have, I'm, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> I'm, I was going to tell you to send me the info for the, the store because I was going to start working on t-shirts i'm bored damn it <laughs> so, yeah Consider that done <laughs> now he's like damn. what i actually was going to bring up to you guys it's funny you mentioned the uh the temperatures and like we always we always try and match it to the wild right right sure. so um one of my best friends uh marcus he uh he has a company called mj ecological selfless blood mm -hmm. um he <laughs> basically does invasive species removal and i don't mean just like wrangling up iguanas like he does different kinds of plants and, and basically the management yeah. control of neighborhoods and stuff okay so he used to work for a major research facility in miami um where we had sun gazers and you know, him and I basically designed a 12 by 14 by 10 foot enclosure for a pair of sun gazers. 
And one of the things we did was we built, we put in built-in ventilation, we had solar glow, you know, bulbs and everything was on timers, but every, everything that was weather aspect was into a program for plant people who keep gardens indoors. It was like software, like on an app for plant people, mm-hmm. and you would link it to wherever the plant came from. So we put the thing for Johannesburg, and if it rained in Johannesburg, it rained in that enclosure. If it got hot in Johannesburg, the temps went up in that enclosure. Wow. And, like, I thought about doing something like that similar. And I actually talked to Andy Middleton about it because, you know, he's, he's the tech guy when it comes to, you know, the barometric pressure of his chondro cages. <laughs> right. And right. I think that that's something that we as herpers or, and reptile keepers could totally get on board with. And, like, even yeah. on a small scale with tubs and racks, like, it's totally doable. But I think that people overlook it, you know, because they think, oh, well, this thing's captive bred. It's never been in the outback. But you know what? There's no reason why we couldn't still replicate it. Right. And also just because the temperatures might shift to a certain extent to listen, I, I would not have known that many of the snakes that I keep would do most of their activity at 70 degrees because that's not what I was yeah. taught. You know, hot spot, this cool right. side, this it, it's yeah. like they don't like they don't like the hot spot. They need it, but they don't like to hang out in there. So yeah. it's OK to drop my temps to 70 degrees at night because that's when all my snakes will move as so long as they get their hot spot during the day. And to be honest, I've seen yeah. more activity out of my animals since I got back and started doing that kind of crap. But I, I would not known, I would not have known that we could be sweating to death at noon, and I could actually have somewhat of a chill by nine o'clock at night in Darwin, Australia. So That's awesome. awesome, you know. I, and I'm thinking about that with, uh, you know, I got white lips, I got Timors, I got other stuff like that, where it can be difficult to breed. And who's to say that? They're not going to be triggered because the temps do stuff that I would have never figured a python that lives in uh, in, in the Timor would ever have. Like, you know, would it, I, don't, I would never right. have figured they would hit that temps. I did the same thing with the olive pythons. I would have never figured that they would have hit the temps that I dropped them to this year and I got eggs. So, yeah, I'd awesome. totally be on board for that. I think there's What's a funny misconception. Is that we... Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say real quick is that the, I mentioned those Rhodesian gerbil tail lizards earlier. Yeah. You know, Marcus and I, well, we had like eight or nine different species of gerbil tail, and we've had a lot of trouble breeding them. And one of the first ones we did successfully was the Rhodesians because I figured out that where they come from in Zimbabwe, the temperature drop is easily 15 to 20 degrees every night, regardless of the time of year. Holy so, crap. Yeah, it's hotter. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So even though it's hotter in summer, it's still dropping 15 to 20 degrees every night. So I figured if I put the, the exoterra that I had a pair in under an AC vent, that means during the day they're still getting the breeze, the fresh air from the AC vent, but the heat lamp is keeping the hot spot at, you know, 87, 89, whatever it is. Right. But then at night it's dropping to like 61 because it's just getting all that air conditioner all night long. So then that worked, and they, they produced several litters, you know? So I think little things like that, you know, like you said with the white lips, man, who would have thought, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I think it was um, uh, what, uh, so many reptile podcasts anymore. I can't keep straight. Um, They're all the was, same. It had to be the gumbo podcast because it was Chris. It was Chris Salemi. I think that's the one he was on. Yeah, 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 the gumbo podcast. Yeah. And, um Basically, they were talking about, um, you know, I, I guess at the very end, they sort of were talking about his, well, his trip to Australia and then the, the trip he went on with us. But, like, 
Um, you know, you, if you want to learn about the species that you keep, you know, the best thing you could do <laughs> is go where they are. Go where they are. You'll learn oh, yeah. things that, you know, I, I, and I was mentioning this, I think it was when me and Rob were talking last time, you know, I'm reading, going through the children's Python book again. And, and as I'm going through, it's like you, 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 you hear all these names and now I'm putting an actual memory in my mind of being in that spot and, and what it felt like and what the humidity was like and what it was like at night and what, you know, what did the environment look like and were there, you know, like where were the microclimates? Where were the animals? What were the other animals doing? Where were they at? Where were the, you know, where were the flying foxes at? Where were the, you know, uh, the mammal life? Where was the, you know, the insect life? Like what was going on in this snapshot that you have when you're reading a book, I don't know. It's just like whenever I come back from Australia, I try to like reread those books again to try to connect the dots, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's it's oh yeah, it's, it's oh yeah, uh, it's amazing. You know, but um, but yeah, it's. <clears throat> I was going to say in a, a minute, a uh, couple minutes ago, was that I think that this conception, and I think you were hitting on it earlier, Owen. It's like you know, yep. at least when I was coming into it, it's like ninety degree hotspot. You know, this was how you kept carpets. 90 degree hotspot, 85 degree ambient. And, you know, yep. I remember going and visiting Luke Snell and we started talking about it. And he's like, I don't know, man. It's just my animals don't seem right. So I lowered the temperatures and I've seen a lot more, um, you know, they, they seem to be, they seem to enjoy it more. They're, 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 they're more active and, you know, I'm keeping them, you know, uh, I think at that point the hotspot became 85 and yeah. ambient was like 78, you know, mm -hmm. and um, just a whole different, uh, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I killed all the heaters in my room, all the external heaters. Like uh, I had electric, I had electric heaters and stuff like that. The cages themselves give up enough heat to, to heat that room to a point that it's like 80 something during the day. And then, you know what? It can drop down. The, 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 they all have independent radiant heat panels, if by some weird act of nature the room were to start dropping to below 70 degrees at nighttime, the panels would all kick on. Right. So, yeah. until then, be snakes. Yeah. So, as applying... And you know what? If they, if they drop below 70, it's not going to kill them. Yeah. It's not like they're all of a sudden going to turn to dust. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> So, oh no! So, so yeah. that being said, is there like no-no temperatures for geckos? Like, is there if you're if you're dealing with knobtails, is there like a certain range that you shouldn't go either below or above? Yeah, I, I don't like to go. Honestly, I don't like to go above ninety unless it's honestly during summer months. Okay. Because I feel like they they know that it's summer, regardless of the fact that it's a different hemisphere. Mm -hmm. They know that it's summer. So if you're going above 90, you know, just because your room got hotter naturally because it's July or August or whatever, I would never go above like 90, 92. Some people say, hey, that's my hot spot. Well, you know what? If that works and they're happy, that's cool. But it's got to have a very dramatic cold side. And in terms of the cool temps, I would never go below, say, 65 because there's honestly no reason to you know if it right. does mm -hmm. hey you know it happens but it's not going to get below 65 every single night unless you're in certain parts of the deep deep desert in which case those animals they're up in their nook right. you know so you don't know if yeah. that nook is six inches or if it's you know four feet underground because they went into you know some kind of mammal burrow and they're mm -hmm. sleeping next to a fuzzy critter you know yeah it's, it's one of those things where you don't think about it where it's like 
uh, where were we? Where it was like a hundred something degrees, and then we passed into a gorge where there was a creek, and all the bats were there, and it was like seventy-two. <laughs> like it's like yeah. I'm gonna have it to changes. send you these pictures. Um, in the first trip when we went to Chilago, there was these caves that you could walk into, and when you walked into these caves, outside of the caves, it was probably close to a hundred degrees. Inside the caves was seventy. Wow! Wow! Well, um, where did we find that um, your blackhead stick gecko? What the hell was that one again? <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. That's, no, I don't it know was, what um, it is. It's some sort of really cool lit gecko. Oh, I but um, it was the, it was the, the, yeah, it was the one. Tail. Yeah. You know? Long tails. Oh, uh, uh, I always butcher Stry- the name. It's uh, Stenophorus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we yeah. found one of those, one and that was at night. Stuff out their ass. Yeah, it was at night on a stick, 70 degrees maybe, if that, and it was just chilling there, doing its thing. And, yeah, that was, it. uh, it, you know, it's, you think about it, when people give you temperatures of the range, they give you hot and colds for the, where it is, not hot and colds of where the animal is going to live in these little micro habitats. So, yeah, here's a, here's a, oh, go ahead. No, just real quick, just on this topic is, yeah. you know, I got one friend who's all the way in, um, like, in a shark coast, like, you know, Perth area, south, extreme west coast of Australia. And, you know, he tells me that when he finds knobs, the coldest it ever is is like 68, 70, just because that's where he is on the globe. But then you talk to my friend Elliot, who's in Queensland, and I see him on, like, a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., and he has a heavy jacket on because it's, it's like 55, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just that – it, it, it's such a big continent. It's such a big world, you know, that we, we over, we overthink it. And I think that the two of you guys are awesome because not only did, I mean, you've gone to different spots in Australia, but you went at different times of the year too. So you're getting mm-hmm. a, a even better, you know, array of, of information. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's, we tried to purposely. Yeah. Cause I want to experience that, man. I want to experience all that. Yeah. I want to know exactly yeah. what it's like at, 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 at different times, because if you only have this little snapshot of, of the, of this specific time, you know, you could be missing out. What I was going to ask is like, so when you're setting these up, because they're not naturally baskers, I mean, they're not coming out and basking under this hot spot, Right. 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 Okay. So like when you're setting up these hides, are you doing one on the, on the warm end and one on the cold end? Or are you, are you focusing it more on the, on the cooler end? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's completely filled with the exception of, like, I don't want to say, like, a fire lane. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, I give them room to, to walk and traverse, and I like to have some, some bald spots in there where, you know, if I throw the crickets in, I'll throw it in, like, a little clearing so that it has, like, a little, like, little, little buffet for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, <laughs> but every single time I sift the sand and I take everything out to, you know, take care of the poo and stuff, mm-hmm. I change it up completely. Oh, so, okay. I, so you're yeah, changing up the environment that, every time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, maybe once a week, once every 10 days, whenever I get around to it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, and I just change it up. And it's always the same. I use the same rocks for each gecko. I use the same cork pieces for each gecko because I want them to still have that smell. Right. And yeah. we, have, we have no idea how sensitive their tongue and their, their nose is and stuff because not many people are studying them. You know, and we really don't even know the whole purpose of the actual knob itself. You know, that's one of the things my buddy Elliot was doing was research. 
Yeah, research on the knob. And we know that it's chock full of sensory organs. Almost, uh, is, it's supposed to be more than a shark's face. So what? you think about how, yeah, so you think about how sensitive a shark's face is. And then we just grab these geckos and like we're touching the tail and like they're whipping the tail around, they're smacking the tail around. They use the tail during mating, they use the tail during defense measures. And like, who knows what that thing is sucking in, so to speak. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Do they drop the tails? Like other geckos? No. no. Well, oh, my yes, God, a so... gecko I can't break. Oh, my God. Yeah, there you go. Dude, I do not pick up crested geckos if they have a tail. I do not. Yeah, no, them. no, they just break. Because I'm that guy. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> certain species <laughs> certain species of, of knobtails can drop their tail. Um, mm-hmm. The levy, the levies complex as well as the wheeler eye complex, so, you know, uh, the banded knobs, yeah. they can drop their tail. Um, I actually have one of my breeder females has a regen tail, and it looks just like a normal leopard gecko regen where it's like this weird fatty blob. Right. Um, but what's funny is when they regenerate that tail, there is no knob. And it has it still has like the fatty deposits, but all of the tubercles that are on the outside of the skin, uh-huh. um, the, those, ro- those rosettes of scales, they're gone. And it still has like a sandpapery touch to it, uh-huh. but it's not as abrasive as the tubercles that were there before they dropped that tail and there's no and there's no knob so my question is is that when that regen tail comes up does it still have any of those sensory organs in it that the knob had before or is it completely gone and now they have to use other senses or they're like like are they chastised because they lost their tail right hmm Hmm. that's interesting See, this is the kind of stuff that I geek out about, you know, like learning that stuff. It's like uh, uncharted territory, if you will, you know, like trying to. Oh, and and I'll tell you, like, I don't even get mad that I did. I had a bunch. I had like four or five pairings this season with the with the bandits Mm -hmm. and only one of them actually locked up. But what's crazy is the female, if she's unreceptive, she'll mimic a male's posture. Oh, so the male comes in. Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch. And I mean, it's kind of shitty because, you know, they're not going to breed at that point. So like, you might as well just pull them apart. But right. And because uh, the male, he'll stand up on all four legs, like he'll posture up like, hey, baby, look at me. Right. And then he picks his, his tail flat up in the air and starts to undulate it left and right. And he's now like, we call it peacocking, like just like a, the peacock bird opens his big tail and shows those pr- big, pretty blue feathers. Mm-hmm. So the male starts peacocking, waving his tail, and it, the undulation is so smooth. It's like, it's like watching water being poured out of a cup. Like it's so fluid. Wow. And he starts, you know, bobbing up and down. And, you know, he gives her the, hey, baby, how you doing? How you doing? And if she's unreceptive, she stands up to her tail goes straight up in the air. She she won't do the like uh, paddle waving like the males do, but the knob itself will undulate left and right, and she'll bark at him, and he'll kind of cower back because obviously she's a lot bigger than him, and it looks scary. But it's amazing to watch, man. And like ninety percent of the time, that tail does nothing; it just sits there, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it has five thousand reins of motion. Wow, Jesus, that's cool. So, can can you keep them in groups together? Like, can they be housed in? Small groups, or is it like solo until breeding season? I keep everything solo just because I want to keep tabs on what's going on. 
Right. And I know people that keep certain species communally, like uh, the Wheeler Eye Wheeler Eye and the Wheeler Eye, excuse me, the, the actual Wheeler Eye, they changed it, and the Synctus. I know people that have kept them communally. I know people that have kept Pilbarensis and Levies Levies communally. Um, it's very similar to other animals where you have one male and like four or five females, wow. but males will fight, but it's not like any other species that like beat the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at like two male crested geckos. One of them's going to get jacked up. But yeah, like, like the knobtails, they kind of just like get annoyed with each other. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what is it? There's always the thing of that. Oh, we've had one leopard gecko forever, and we're going to get him a friend. And then you accidentally put two males in the same cage, and it's on. You know, and yeah. they can they yeah. can kill each other. You know. Oh it's... yeah, most definitely. So, so like, knobbies I, don't do that. Big... They, they really don't. Out of morbid okay. curiosity, I did it once just to see what happened. And uh, I, I did it during breeding season because I really wanted to see how – I wanted to see if maybe this male that I was using wasn't dominant enough for the females because they were unreceptive or whatever. So I put them together, and they basically mating danced each other. <laughs> and then one bit the other one in the face real quick, just like a quick little nip, like get away from me. Mm-hmm. And then they both just kind of sat there and did nothing. Huh. And that was it. So I, I pulled them apart, you know. I'm sure other people have probably had horror stories, and they. I do not recommend anyone who keeps knobtails to put two males together just to see what happens. I don't recommend that. But yeah. from my observations, they're not like leeches or they're not like Gila monsters where you're going to walk in, there's going to be another dead lizard. Right. It, it's not like that kind of stuff. It's it, yeah. It's more like carpet combat. It can be ritualistic, not that carpet combat is gentle. But, you know, it's right, right. there usually isn't a death involved. Yeah. So. And I'm sure it's it's like scrubs where, you know, I I, don't, I have very little little experience with Somalia, but I've seen some friends that they kept two males together their entire year, and mm. they took one male out and put the girl in there, and then when they took the girl back out after she got bred or didn't get bred and puts the male back in, now the males are getting combative because they both smell that female. Yeah. So I, I haven't tried anything like that, but who knows what will happen. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just – uh, cohabbing is one of those weird things because it's like the same thing with like what you said. It's like I like having keeping tabs on everybody. Um, I've started cohabbing a few things, but you know, you have to keep and don't start thawing rodents until you've separated all your cohabbers. Like because that's just asking for trouble. So there's yeah, a lot of that yeah. kind of stuff you have to worry about. But so and like with those uh, those girdle tail lizards I have, mm-hmm. I actually let's say I get a litter of because they're live bears. Let's say I get a litter of four babies, right? Mm-hmm. which is typically a, a big litter for them. Um, I'll cohab them for the first, like, five months because yeah. I want to see who is the dominant one so that I can remove that one. And that way, that one can get his own food on the side, and then the other ones aren't being deprived of food or they're not, not being overly stressed out. Because, like, a lot of these small lizards, man, the stress is what gets them. Yeah. You know, it's not the fact that, you know, they're not eating enough or they're not drinking enough. No, it's, they're not eating enough or drinking enough because they're stressed out. Yeah, I mean, I mean that sounds like uh, when my friend did uh, blackthroats and mangroves. That's what we did. Is they were together, and then when you found out who was picking on everybody, he got his own special cage, and yeah. um, everybody else was able to eat and cohab and do all the other fun stuff. But it was usually uh, like there were two or three that would just pick on everybody, and then they got in their own cage, and everything kind of settled down to when you got like groups of. I think he started with a clutch of like 10, 15, and then eventually he'd be down to like two or three groups of five or a couple of groups of three, one group of four, that kind of stuff. Where it just wow. 
where everyone worked out. So it's weird with That's that cool. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, when it comes to feeding with these guys, you sort of hit on it a little bit with the varied diet and stuff and supplements. I mean, are they, maybe you can walk us through like, um, you know, what are you, what is the diet that you're varying? Is it, you know, I would imagine um, crickets are a big part of that and, you know, maybe what else that you're, you're doing and yeah, supplementation and stuff like that. Right. So um, I have a couple different vitamins uh, that I mix. And most of the stuff I use is actually, oh, I think it's Rapashi. It's the hmm. red cap with the yellow leopard gecko on it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the manager of the retail store underground, um, him and I are, are big on like nerding out. I mean, you guys nerd out too. You know, we, we want to know the facts. So him and I sat down one day with like 15 different calcium supplements, like multivitamins, and we picked out like which one had the most phosphorus opposed to how much this one had of, uh, you know, dried kelp and like all the crap that's in there that is filler or whatever. Right. I kind of mix my own now. And I didn't okay. know this actually, Justin told me this, that apparently the longer they put an expiration date on it because they want you to buy more. But apparently that expiration date is genuine because some of the vitamins, I guess, lose their potency. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep the freshness of the multivitamin and the calcium stuff. Like every four or five months, I'll kind of throw away what I got and just get new just to be on the safe side. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the prey item itself, I use crickets the majority. Mm -hmm. And I got lucky, man, because some people have horrible luck with their knobtails and eat crickets. Um, but I do crickets, and I'll do uh, hornworms if they're small enough. Mm -hmm. um, I'll also do some small uh, – I can't remember. Whichever the, whichever the roaches that's allowed to be in Florida, I have those that I get. I don't know, discoid doobie. I don't remember which one's which. But the ones that are supposed to be allowed in Florida. Okay. Um, and I'll do those. But I don't like doing the roaches unless it's a baby on paper towels because um, if I do the roaches in the sand, they burrow in the sand, and the gecko never gets it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you and know, you have three pet roaches. Days, yeah. Right, exactly. Three, four days later, I'll sift the sand and I'll find four or five dead roaches, and the gecko's looking at me like, what the hell, bro? I never ate any. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I do a lot of crickets. I, I really love those hornworms because they are so nutritious, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they do have a lot of fattiness and like that, that they almost have too much fattiness. So, I'll ration them out for the most part. Um, but if I'm gone for a week, let's say I go on a business trip for a week, mm -hmm. I'll feed them four or five of those beforehand just to kind of give them a full belly. That way they're fine for the whole week and I don't have to worry. Gotcha. Now, how often are you, I mean, like, I, how often is mealtime? You said it was once a week or you said you kind of varied no, that up too. I, yeah, it, it depends on the species. So, like, I have baby underwater saurus milii that I got, and those things are just the stupid, cutest thing you've ever seen. They're so <laughs> tiny. Um <laughs> And, like, it's, it's hilarious. Actually, I got them from Lulu Ward at DW Geckos. He's awesome, and uh, he breeds amazing geckos. And I went to Daytona this, this last year's Daytona, mm -hmm. and I was like, hey, man, I want some, some babies. And he cherry-picked me, you know, what he thought might be hypos, whatever. And they actually turned out to both be hypos, which was awesome. Nice. And, uh, and I have them on paper towels. So I will give them, you know, three or four worms, and they'll be cool, and then – maybe the next day or the day after, I'll notice how big their belly is. Have they digested yet? Have they pooped yet? You know, mm -hmm. how big was the poop? Was it kind of meh? Or was it like a solid, you know, a, a, a good-sized stool, if you will? Yeah. And, uh, and just go from there. But, like, the big adults, I'll feed them three times a week. And I just give them, you know, four to six 
you know, three quarter size crickets, you know, three to maybe two to three times a week, depending on how big the crickets are. It depends on what, what day I go buy them because I'm the weirdo who doesn't keep crickets at home. I go and I buy them like a couple times a week. And you just, you know, and just dump them in immediately. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I live really close to a bunch of pet stores, so I'm kind of blessed in that capacity. Yeah, but, crickets suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah no. Crickets are, crickets are horrible. I hate crickets, but they work like a million bucks. The geckos mm-hmm. like them, and it works. And I've had babies that I had to tweezer feed a roach, you know, and you just kind of make it wiggle in front of them. And I've also had babies that just ate off the bat. You know, I got lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy Elliot, who's in Queensland, when he was doing the research with the, with the Aspers, he had to literally grab the adults because they're wild caught. He would grab the adults and he would hold them appropriately and he would wiggle it in front of their face. They would get mad and just like a, a baby Chondro or a mm. baby Amazon, you know, they bite out of defense and then they realize that they have this food in their mouth and they start eating it. And he would do that with every single gecko. And like oh, that's the, taxing. How yeah. many did he have? Uh, I don't even want to know. No, too many. No, that's that's the wrong answer. Dear God. Yeah. Too many. Yeah. Yeah. But he was also he was also you know in 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 research and he was in college doing it for research. So like his day to day was studying these lizards both in the field and in captivity. So it wasn't that big a deal to him. I doubt he would be. I doubt any of us would be doing that at home if unless we really had to. You know. You really got to love these things if you're going to do like what bust out two hours of your day to. Feed an angry gecko its food. Yeah, dear God. Yeah, right, right. But yeah, I mean, I I just I do crickets. I do uh, hornworms because they move a lot more. I'll do the the ro- the small species of roaches, the terrestrial roaches that don't climb. And I've tried waxworms. I've tried mealworms. And the problem is, is they don't move enough. You know, mm-hmm. it's still a gecko. It still has vision based on movement for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's just they're not they're not into it. You know, I right. put. They put them in a little dish with the powder and just kind of walked away. And the next morning, there's a bowl full of worms. So you got to kind of play with it. I'm sure other people have had complete polar opposites with their feeding. Their lizard loves to eat waxworms. Who knows? Right. But that's just that. That's what I do. Right. Okay. Is is there anything you should completely, totally avoid when it comes to these guys, as far as like food items, like superworms yeah. or something like that? No, I mean, they're, they're in the wild. The majority yeah. of their prey is not insects. It's actually like arachnids and isopods and stuff like that. So depending on the part of Australia that they're coming from, there isn't crickets or grasshoppers. So they're okay. eating spiders and they're eating isopods and they're eating small species of centipede and uh, small types of weevils and stuff like that. Um, there's actually a really great study on the digestive traits of like five different species of knobtail that came out of uh, the University of Australia in Perth from like maybe 2015 or so, 2013, and they basically cut open like a thousand specimens from different museums from around the world as well as stuff from all over Australia, and they checked the stomach contents, and you'd be amazed at what these things are eating in the wild, and like some of them are almost exclusively on spiders. You know, they hmm. eat crickets for us in captivity, but this particular gecko lived in an area where there was no grasshoppers. There was a shit no, ton of spiders. Know, yeah, there's well, a shit ton of spiders, right? Yeah. I can yeah. personally tell you, and Owen can tell you, many times we were fooled by this eye shine that oh we my could not God, figure out spiders. for the life of us fuck what those this spiders. And they were That's awesome. everywhere. huge and everywhere. And you're everywhere. like, oh my God. Giant ass spider. Never mind. Oh my god. Giant ass spider. Yeah, no. Everyone. Oh. I mean, there had yeah. to be how much would you say, Owen? Hundreds? Dude, you no, we the here's the thing is the first like 
day we're we're herping that we're like oh sense, and, and we stopped and then after after a while we're like if you saw tiny amounts of eye shine out in the bush we just ignored it because it was just 20 or 30 of those spiders just off the path yeah like Not, you would oh, pull yeah. off the That's road awesome. to go look at a section you know and like think of like i don't know just think of like you're pulling your your road cruising or whatever you see some eye shine you pull off you go look you're looking at like you know i don't know how big would that space be uh, you know maybe not but they were tiny spiders with just huge ass eye shine like oh, yeah. you you were walking up on it they expecting to find like a lizard or a gecko or and it was this little spider that it's just its whole head glowed. It was ridiculous. Like it was so. <laughs> that's so awesome, though, because that's, how that that's makes cool. me. That's I don't awesome. know. That just connects the dots again. You know, we're talking. We're sitting here talking, and yeah. you're saying about how they're eating <laughs> majority spiders, and it's like. Oh, and I'm yeah, just getting. I can see why that would be the case. You know. And all I can think about is yeah. just how many times did we wander off the path, walking for about five minutes until someone went, "Nope, spider," and we all turned <laughs> back around. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's wild. That's it's awesome. Wild. What, What's funny is uh, one thing I will say is that there's actually a push in, and I'm sure most of the breeders, both in the United States as well as Europe, don't advertise this because mm. it is extremely taboo, but they're, they're growing up other species of gecko to feed to their knobtails. Oh, my because God. Because a lot of knob, <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of knobtail species are gecko eaters in the wild. So, like, for example, the Gera variegata, I believe it is, which is a very, very small species of terrestrial gecko, um, that when an adult amiae, or excuse me, amiae is, you know, a big diesel 40, 50 gram gecko, mm -hmm. it's not going to eat a dinky little spider. It's going to eat another gecko. And yeah. from what I've gathered through my meager research is that they're not cannibalistic on other, you know, knobtails of the genus or the species, but they're going to eat every other little gecko they can find that's smaller than them. So I know there's a couple of people in the U.S. that are breeding pictus geckos specifically for food for their knobs as like an a enrichment program or like a supplementary diet program. Mm -hmm. I know there's a couple of people that are breeding bino geckos because they're parthenogenic. So you get, you know, five or six little bino geckos, and in a year you have a whole colony, and now they're going to continue to breed and continue to produce offspring that you can feed as a supplement to your larger knobtails, See? providing that that's what they eat in the wild. Yeah, that's cool. See? And you know what? You might get problem feeders to eat better and faster. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've been saying this for years, and every time I talk to somebody that works with anteresia or aspidites or any of these, like, you know, quote-unquote, you know, gecko hard. eaters for yeah. hard-to-get-going species— like, why don't we just yeah. feed them what they're supposed to eat? You know, Dude. diamond pythons are notorious for, like, getting, being difficult to start because why? They eat geckos in the wild. That's what they're eating, geckos and right. skinks, you know? I mean, um, right. so, like, you're telling me now that these knobtail guys are like, you know, you snake guys are like... <laughs> You're so dude, like it's, 1982, you guys are so man. far behind. We're like wavy, <laughs> like light years ahead of you guys, man. You know, like, I, I was actually thinking yeah. about this this week because I'm trying to get a clutch of jungles to eat. And all I can think about is, God, I wish I had some of those little skinks that were running around like in Australia. Just pop those fuckers in there and be like, there, if you Don't won't smack it down. And yeah, well, I mean, some, something in their brain, some like, point, dude, you know, dude, let's put it this way. Right. I, 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 uh, the, the, the red tiger jag I got from you. Mm -hmm. Um, she took her first meal yesterday Okay. and she's, she was, she didn't take a live a hopper when offered and she didn't take a frozen thawed one hopper, uh, one offered, but I, I took a frozen thaw and I covered it with chick down 
And she did the same thing she does all the time. She kind of hid, shied away from it, and I just held it out there. And you could almost see the gears turning as she started flicking her tongue. She kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then she's got her whole face in the chick down, and then she just opens her mouth and just starts instinctively eating the thing. Yeah. And that's just it. Like, sometimes you need to have that thing that clicks in the back of their head. So if your gecko is primarily a gecko eater, it would probably be better to get it to just eat what it's naturally supposed to eat. Like, if I'm having a problem with a carpet, I, you better believe I have, like, the gecko juice and the lizard juice and all that crap because somewhere in the back of their heads, no matter how far this thing is removed from the wild, something's going to click to tell them that that is a food item. Yeah. And, you know, it's oh, just yeah. like how... How many? Uh, what? What is it? I want to say that king cobras that are kept primarily as snake eaters do better than the ones that we transfer over to rodents. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, it yeah, might that, even that's why you have. Over. Yeah, that's why you have a thirty, thirty-five-year-old king cobra, or you have a king cobra that died prematurely at twelve years old with fatty deposits all over it. It's like yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, there's a lot of guys in Europe that they'll skin the rats before they feed it to the king cobra. I'm like, well, that's great because they can't digest the fur, but they're not designed. Their body is physically not designed to digest that much muscle tissue. Yeah. Like, it's just not happening, you know, right. or that much calcium in those bones, you know, and uh-huh. sinew and all that stuff. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. Um, I put my white lips are on a primarily bird diet because yeah. they, the white lips are the only pythons that I know of that'll hack up a hairball. And, we're all like, oh, interesting. No, that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> like that. That's that's yeah. That's not right. And primarily on birds, um, and they've slimmed down and they've got that distinct head to neck different. Like you can see where the head ends and the neck begins, which is something I think you lose pretty quick with pythons if they're fat. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's you know, or their their heads the size of a of a you know a baseball, but their body's the size of a cantaloupe. Exactly. You know, it's that's an issue. So it's it's one of those things where if the gecko is a primarily gecko eating species, I don't think anybody can be shocked if you start breeding a colony of geckos. I almost almost wish that there were there was an accepted feeder gecko or feeder skink that were like, hey, give me like twenty of those. Or give me like three or yeah. those. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny because like we always talk about baby snakes, you know, whatever species it is, whether it be Morelia or Lysis or whatever, you know, we try and scent with a baby gecko, right? Mm-hmm. So or yeah. an adult gecko. So you buy a frozen house gecko from a tra- from a reptile show, and that's your one feeder frozen gecko, and you rub it on every blood everything you can or everything, you know, everything, right? <laughs> right? It's just you it's see. just it's used as a as a, as a, a salt lick. You, you, and, you saw it with the fuzzies like a bullion cube, yeah, and then you exactly, put it back in the freezer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You got it. So then, but you look at these some of these gecko species that, for example, we talk about the bino geckos because some of the people are apprehensive to breed pictus because so. Right, let me digress. So we look for these small gecko species that are small enough for an adult knobtail to eat, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And like pictus geckos, for example, are super duper tiny, but they're from North Africa. They're not from Australia. So do you really mm-hmm. want to feed it or do you not? So then you get the guys that get the binos that are actually from Australia. But the problem is, is a baby bino is still too big for a baby knobtail to eat. If a baby knobtail is only two inches long and three grams, if that, two and a half grams, it can't eat a one gram gecko. It's just physically impossible. Yeah. But an adult 
oh, it's going to slurp them down like spaghetti. Right. Yeah, but it's... But now, have you ever, guys, have you ever seen a lizard regurgitate? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I've seen, like, monitors do it, which is just fun, because it's just like, and, like, a whole rat just goes flying across the cage. It's like, oh, nice. Right. So right. it's... But, like, you, but you, never hear, you never hear about, like, crested throwing up or bearded dragons throwing up or blue-tongued skinks throwing up. Now, they may do it. I don't know. Those aren't my kind of species, but... I was shocked because when I first got into knobtails, my geckos were throwing up. And I was like, oh, my okay. God, what have I done? Yeah, what I break? I'm killing them. Right. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm like, oh, God, it's Emerald Tree Bows all over again. So, <laughs> oh, God, it's happening again. <laughs> it's happening again. Oh, no. Um, so, <laughs> so I realized, and I asked a couple friends in Australia, and they're like, you're feeding them too much. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they're like, they're like, yeah, man, stop feeding them so much. They're going to eat because they don't know when their next meal is, you know? They're going to eat everything that they can because they may go weeks, if not a month, without food. So they're going to scarf it down. Well, I, I'm finding these, like, owl pellets in my gecko cage. And I'm like, why? where is this coming from? Why are they throwing up? It's because I overfed them. So I do think that people need to be mindful that – they can't just throw in crickets and throw in crickets and throw in crickets because now they're going to get in the habit of eating too much and throwing up and eating too much and throwing up. And now they're not retaining any of those nutrients. And then you're going to get a problem. It's going to add stress and dehydration and whatever else. So I'm glad I learned that quick. You know, I learned it the hard way, but I had geckos that survived from it and they're fine. And I I just, I'd like to tell people that because I'm like, listen, this is not a leopard gecko. This is not a fat tail gecko. Do not shove crickets down his throat because it's going to get sick. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean it's, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean that they they gotta. When, when does a snake puke in the wild? When it eats something huge and then people are pestering it, it's like bleh, and because it needs to get away. So it would make right. sense for a knobby if it eats a shit ton and then is trying to run around and do knobby things in its cage and it's just like, no, nah, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, le- I gotta lose some some junk in here. I gotta lose some weight, you know. Yeah, so we can move around. So that makes sense. But Jesus. Well, that's that's the classic the classic argument of the zombie apocalypse. You know, you only have to be as fast as your slowest guy because yep. you know he ate too much, <laughs> and that's the same I mean, concept. Yeah, I mean, just you yeah. know, it, they, what is the thing? Is the um, uh, uh, the the hunter in the woods was able to escape a bear with a twenty two. His friend that he shot in the kneecap was not so lucky. So <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> oh man <laughs> let's uh awesome. let's talk a little bit about um just the, like you know, how to breed these guys are they difficult are they are there are there gradients of difficulty in breeding species or is some more difficult than others? yeah yeah i would i've only been i've only all right so i've only owned three different species so i can't vouch for the other ones i just can't because even okay. though i've had more than three species i haven't had pairs or I haven't had them to adulthood or whatever. Right. So I would say that they're not impossible by any means necessary. Once you've got things dialed in, right. then you're set, but you can't just throw them together. You have to get the feeding schedule correct. You have to get the temperatures correct. You have to make sure that it's the time of year. You can't just throw a male and a female together in July because they're not going to do it. Um, there was a paper out from uh Oh, man, I think it was Glenn Milton Starr, who's one of the leading Australian taxonomists. Mm-hmm. You know, he put out a paper decades ago about the um, 
ovarian follicles dropping and creating in, in comparison to testicular activity per the months of the year. So even if, so you look at this correlation between, you know, the, the female is preparing ovum and the male's testicles are actually working at that time of the year, well, that's optimal. And you see these peak months of like, obviously it's Southern Hemisphere, so it's different. So you'll see this peak month of like September, the end of September starts to get good. And then October, it's like, wow, look at this. And then right around the beginning of November, it's like, boom. And then it slowly starts to decrease. And by Christmas, you got nothing. Right. And then on occasion, depending on where they are on the continent, you know, how close you are to the equator and what have you, how close you are to the, the heat of the desert, what have you, you see another spike in like March and April. You know, okay. so we can take that and we can ex extrapolate anything from that and reverse it for Northern Hemisphere. It would be very similar to our spring and fall. You know, right. you can't in our spring and fall, you can't throw them together in July. It's not going to work. Right. Now, yeah. I'm sure there are people that have, you know, that they're like the ball python breathers and they're like, oh, the animal doesn't know. We'll just make it a temperature. Right. And I'm sure that's worked for some people, but I'm sure it's definitely not worse for others. I also so, think it's a hard boulder to push uphill. I mean, oh, most definitely. Well, why, 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 like, I'm going to try to make July in December. Why not just, just yeah. make December, December? <laughs> like it's so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I tried to, I tried to do like what I would call a mini season. Mm -hmm. Um, one time I basically in, I kept the temps the same, um, dirt going into season and then I dropped the temps pretty quick colder than I normally would and I kept it like that for like three weeks I didn't feed them I kept missing you know I kept the dew so to speak but I I, I did this rapid cold thing for a short time and I brought it back up and none of them wanted to do anything they were just like really bro did you really just do this <laughs> really <laughs> And they're all looking at me like, was that necessary? Right. You know what I mean? And I got yeah. nothing. So now I know I have to I have to keep to the the seasonal formula, you know, just like mm -hmm. just like everyone does with every other species they do. You know, right. you gotta go with the time. And it's it's how much food and how much food at that time of the year. You know, in winter time there's less food. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spring is the time of plenty. Animals are making babies, you know, the, the bugs are breeding, the bugs are having eggs. Now, all of a sudden, those eggs are hatching. You know what I mean? Now there's more bug food. More bug food causes more gecko food. More gecko food causes more baby geckos and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's difficult. I think you got to pay attention to what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Become a student of the you know? gecko instead of the oh, serpent. Gee. And that's <laughs> No, nah, it's the serpent, man. Yeah, yeah it didn't serpent. work. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, so is it... It's, so basically you're saying there's a couple different factors that, you know, to get these to go. One would be feeding and one would be, you know, just yes. them knowing the temperature. Is it is it yeah. like the temperature's dropping, like daily temperatures, or is it just the nighttime temperatures that are, are dropping? Similar to like what No, it's 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 a dramatic daily, night and day. Okay. So okay. you're you're creating you're creating seasons in captivity. The yo yo kind of a deal. Theory, it, yeah, it should correlate to outside. You know what I mean? Because it's very difficult to replicate the opposite hemisphere in captivity. Mm -hmm. It's sure. hard, you know. Right. So you're doing this gradual drop into winter, then you're coming out of winter into spring, and now this is when you're going to start seeing the reproductive, you know, stuff popping off, right. and now you're going to start pairing. 
you're going to get copulation. And then depending on the species, it's anywhere from, you know, 30 days, 40 days, whatever it may be afterward, now you're having eggs being laid. So you got certain species that only produce, first of all, all knobtails for the most part drop two eggs per clutch. That's it. Okay. That's um, it. They're, that's it. Every once in a while, you'll get a random third egg in that same clutch, but that's extremely rare. Mm -hmm. Now, certain species like Stellatus, the starry knobtail, um, that's typically three or four eggs at a time. And okay. in captivity, you don't see that. Um, you'll see it on occasion, and when someone does produce four eggs at once, they're like, oh, my God, I got four eggs. This is crazy. But in the wild, observations are showing that they are doing four eggs, boom, every time. Um, but then you also have certain species that will do multiple clutches throughout a season. So, like, for example, example the amiae, or the amiae, that is the, the centrillion knobtail, the one that the big, the giant one, it's the biggest gecko in all of Australia. It's the biggest gecko in the Carpidactylidae family. And that's the one that people know and love as the traditional knobtail. It's the big spiky one with the crazy tubercles and the little blunt, you know, snub-nosed tail. Mm -hmm. um, you're lucky if you get two, cl two clutches. You know, you're, you're seeing one clutch a year, maybe two clutches, and that's it for the whole year, which is also another reason why in the pet trade they're, they're expensive because right. there's only so many of them out there, you know. Um, and then you get stuff like the synctus, right. Right, the synctus where, I mean, crap, I have females that did like five clutches in a year. Holy shit. And like the last, yeah, the last two clutches were infertile because she used up all that sperm, you know. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I don't know if that was three clutches from one actual copulation because obviously she's copulating multiple times to, to, to get things going um, and copulating after laying eggs too, just to kind of see how things go. Uh -huh. But that's a lot, that's a lot of eggs for one animal. Yeah, yeah it is. You know, and, and especially since the eggs are almost, as, they're almost as big if not bigger than their head. Oh shit. So they're big. Ed. Wow. That's yeah. That's a lot of eggs to have in just in her body during the pregnancy. That's a lot. There's not a lot of space there. Right. Is there any right, sort right. of like uh, supplements that you do for the female, like calcium supplements or anything going into breeding? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll do more calcium than I will the multivitamin. I'll just, you know, when I when I mix my little cricket dusting bag, mm -hmm. I'll uh, I'll make I'll make the ratio, you know, two you know two thirds opposed to fifty fifty. Um, and then afterward, it's crucial. And then afterward, I'll, after she lays the first clutch, that's when I really start bringing in like the hornworms. And like just getting her to eat more because I need to replenish all those nutrients. Right. You know, and and I think that I, I'm because I'm not, you know, breed it, breed it, breed it, breed it, breed it. I'm more of a I want to see how this goes and enjoy this and let her live her best life possible. Sure. I don't want to force too many clutches. I don't want to, I don't want to stress her out because you think about it too is I'm checking that once I know that it's the time that she's going to drop, I'm checking the tub every single day, sometimes three times a day. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's just me lifting the tub up and holding it in the air to see in the bottom. And other times I'm taking her out and rummaging around in there and messing everything up because i got to find these eggs. And that's got to be stressful too, you know? Yeah. So, so they, do bury the egg, they do bury the eggs in the sand? Oh, yeah. And, and okay. I, I've, I have some of them that I make a little nest box where – I'll leave the cage really dry, and then the next box will be like soaking wet sand because they want to bury them. In, they want to bury them in the humid sand. Right. And if I do the whole enclosure, it doesn't even look like she ever dug. Hmm. Like they are so good at burying their eggs, it's it's like she never did anything at all. Hmm. Huh. Wow, that's great. Are, are they? Is it like um, you know how like monitors are really specific about? 
you know, temperature of the nest box or anything like that, does that carry over with the geckos or is that they just are not as picky? Um, I think mom's going to take a couple days or a couple hours or however long it takes her to find the ideal laying area. So I try and replicate that with that little nest box, which is, to be honest, it's not really a nest box. It's a deli cup full of wet sand with no standing water, and I cut a hole in the side, and I, you know, I melt the edges of the plastic with a lighter so it's rounded and smooth and not jagged. Mm -hmm. And the next, the next day when I wake up in the morning, I'll see that all the sand was kicked out of it, you know, because you can tell the difference between the wet sand and the dry sand, and I know that she was in there rummaging around. Um, and then I pick up the deli cup and I look at it and boom, there's eggs. Um, other times it's not that simple. And I've had them where they buried them and I, I lost them. You know, they were, they were fertile eggs and I, she buried them in dry sand because she didn't want to use that box. And they just went bad over, over the 24 hours that I didn't know they were there. So, you know, I've had, I've had really bad luck with post, I guess postpartum eggs, I guess you call it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because it's Florida, so mold is a huge factor in the incubators. Yeah. Um, and, like, I've had too many horror stories with beaded lizards and Gila monsters and cobra eggs and just stuff that, you know, I open the thing too much. I open the door too much. I'm like, oh, let me look at the eggs. Let me look at the eggs. Let me look at the eggs. And all I'm doing is letting invisible spores of mold go into the incubator. It's hot. It's humid. It's damp. And they just start growing fuzz. You know, so um, mom has to find the perfect environment of moist, moist sand that's the right temperature that she can bury them in there, make it look like no one was ever there, and then never look back ever again. Right. Okay. Yeah. So and now is there any kind of um, designer knobtail thing out there where people are crossing some of these subspecies together to try to see if they can make something cool looking or fun looking, or is it just strictly the um breeding what we know to be pure or what we think is pure so i think that there is way more het stuff than okay. anyone ever realizes because you have like for example in the centrillion geckos you've got oh there's a lot of hypo out there mm -hmm. and the problem is is that you'll get someone who bred a hypo to a normal and then you'll have hypo to hypo. And I'm not, a, I'm not a morph guy at all. Like I'm just not, it's just not my cup of tea. So I don't right. know the whole genetics of percent wise, what's what, but I'm sure that there's a ton of head stuff. And like I said earlier with the pilbarensis, almost every single one is hepto albino. Now you also have a lot of, in terms of the levees complex, which is the smooth geckos, accidental hybridization of subspecies. And, like, one might say, well, it's not a hybrid, you know, it's a naturally occurring integrate, and, you know, they would do it in the wild. Yeah, that's because they're subspecies that are part of the same species complex. But mm -hmm. it's, still, it's still a cross, you know what I mean? And right. I'm sure that there's been people that have done it on purpose to, uh, to produce a particular line, right? Because like, we mm -hmm. love lines. Lines are friggin' awesome. Lines make the cool stuff that we love, and the more unique, and the more unique, and the more unique. But... There's other people that say there is no such thing as pulverantis in the United States anymore because they're all hybridized. They're all mudded out. Who the hell really knows? Oh, right. this one's super duper dark red, so it must be pulverantis. Well, no, it's just a good looking levies, you know? Right. So I'm sure there are other breeders that are, have way more geckos than I do that have, you know, can, can answer that question better than I can. But I don't think people are doing it on purpose simply because there's only so many of them in the country. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a legitimate commodity. And the more you take out of that commodity pool, you've now lost 
you've lost product, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Once you start muddying the waters, it's done. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Now, um, when it comes to your females, do you do any kind of further? I know you said you already dust and supplement. Do you kind of add more to the girls going into breeding season, or you just kind of keep it to where it's at? Um, you mean the supplement or food in general? Yeah, supplement and food in general. Let's go with both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, food in, food in general is, is definitely, because I want to simulate that spring. You yeah. know, everything's growing, everything's blossoming, you know, metaphorically and physically. And obviously she's eating more, so she's getting more, more supplements from the, Got it. right, more supplement, right? So it's not that I'm dusting the crickets with more powder. It's just she's naturally getting more because she's eating more crickets that happen to be dusted. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Because like the yeah. food increases, you're getting more of the stuff. So I got gotcha. you. Um, right. Now, how often do you put the pairs together? Do you just put the boy in and good luck, buddy? Or do you have to like pull him out, put him back in, put him out, put him back in? Um, um, I, do it, like I, I do it as much as I can without freaking him out. Okay. So, so like I know, all right, this is I'm going to do a pairing on Monday night. So I'll take the male. I'll put him in with female number one. And I'll sit there for a second and I'll close the drawer just enough so like I can peek in, but they're not hmm. really looking at me. Okay. And I'll start to watch the interaction. And you know, so if she starts peacocking back at him, I know this is going to be a no-show. So I'll okay. give him five, maybe ten minutes, and then I'll pull him out because I know nothing's going to happen. And then I will put him back in his tub and leave him be for the night. And then maybe I'll, I'll wait maybe a day or two and do it again with the second female. But then that first female then I'll put male number two in there. Maybe she just didn't like the first guy. You know? yeah. She didn't like his haircut or whatever. Mm. So, And I'll cycle that way. Now, once I get copulation, I close the drawer, I walk away, I leave him alone. And I have not yet had any permanent damage to each other because they do bite each other a lot, especially okay. the male. The males basically will bite the female on the nape. And then, well, so let's, let me rewind for a minute. So let's pretend like the girl is receptive. The male goes in, he starts peacocking, hey, baby, look at me, let's do this thing. She will basically lay there and say, all right, let's go. Mm -hmm. So she lays there, she flattens out, and she may shift her body from side to side to, you know, better facilitate the male's attack on her because at some point the male is going to latch onto her nape. He's going to bite her on the back of the neck. She may move a little bit because, let's face it, she's getting bit. Um, And then she'll basically arch her back and curl her tail so that he can get up from the side so they can get pelvis to pelvis, but both of their backs are still vertical. Like there's no rolling per se. Um, it's just kind of like an angled approach to go pelvis to pelvis. Um, I've had ones that copulated for five minutes, and then I've had ones that copulated. Cop- wow, I can't talk tonight. Copulated for like two hours. Um, and basically, what I'll do is I'll just leave them alone, and then when they're done, I'll separate them. If she looks like she's annoyed with him, I'll take him out. Um, if they look like they're fine, I'll leave them in there. You know, they may do it two or three more times that night, but while I'm sleeping, who knows? And then whatever happens the next day, I'll definitely take him out and give him a break. Uh, there's a, a whole thing that people talk about with knobtails of never keep a male communally with females during breeding season because he will literally breed himself to death. So he'll continue to copulate and he'll stop eating. He'll stop drinking. All he'll want to do is, is, is make love. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now you have an, an emaciated, you know, anemic, anemic gecko. So I don't want him to get in that mindset. So I break it every, every night or every session or whatever you want to call it. Okay. So, um, 
now that you you know let, let, let's say you 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 know you get the eggs and all that fun stuff how, how do you set them up for incubation so i've had horrible luck me personally with perlite and it's it dude perlite's awesome i love perlite i've done it with countless other eggs but these knob tails, man, I just have bad luck. I think it might be my house. Maybe it's the humidity in my house, but I just, my eggs get rotty and gross on perlite. So I'm using straight vermiculite. I'm doing the normal vermiculite mix. Um, I have them in jelly cups with a crap load of air holes, and I have the little egg trays from Sim Container, so I place them in that. And that's worked really, really well. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deviate just because, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Heck yeah. And basically, I'm keeping it at uh, I'm keeping it between like 83 and 84, um, and then the humidity I'm keeping it probably realistically in the 75, 80 percentage area. Okay. I could be okay. wrong on the humidity. How how many days do they take to hatch? Um, it's long, and it depends on the species. I actually have my notes because I never remember, so just mm. bear with me for a moment. Sure. Um, while I pull this up. Sorry, so uh, like Eric, for... did you know olives take 70 days? Mm-hmm. You know who didn't know that? You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you didn't do your homework. <laughs> I, it's the jello at the wall method, you know. <laughs> Holy crap, there are eggs here. Who would have thought this? Oh, and you did put the male in with the female. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> now you know. Now we so, know. <laughs> all right, so because I'm because I'm horrible at this and I always have to like put notes and reminders in my in my phone and calendar and stuff. So like the rough complex, so that's gonna be like the Asper and the Amy AI, those are usually like seventy to eighty five days. Um the Jeez. standard wheeler eye is um I'm looking back just to make sure I don't say this wrong. Um yeah, incubation on them is usually like 50, 60 days. Same thing with the synctus. The synctus, I've had synctus eggs that went to like 72 days, mm-hmm. and they were totally cool, you know? Um, I'm one of those guys that unless it is literally liquefied, moldy, disgusting mess, I will not touch that egg. Um, I'll leave it be, let it go full term, and then if it's, you know, four or five days past what it's supposed to do, I'll, I'll pip it with like a really, really tiny needle just to kind of see what comes out. If some good amniotic juices start flowing out, then, you know, I'll cut it a little bit. And one time I had a little baby go bloop and pop his head out. Other times there was nothing, which is a bad egg. Hmm. Okay. Um, one time I actually, I got super excited because I had this one female that's like just an awesome looking animal, man. Just like crisp bands, bright orange color, big pretty eyes. And I was like, man, these babies are going to be awesome. And she gave me two flawless eggs. And I put them in the incubator, and I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to check them every night. So I had the little light, the LED light, so I'd look at them, and they look fine. And I look at them, and they look fine. And this goes on for the full, you know, 55 days. Right. And when the, when the geckos lay the eggs in the sand, you know, I use red sand. Yeah, it's dyed, but it looks cool, whatever. Right. So the, the eggs are red with the sand. They're, all, they're covered in it because it's stuck to it. So I try and dust them mm-hmm. off with my finger best I can, but they're still that red color. So right at the 60-day mark, I'm like, you know what? Let me candle them. Let me see what's going on. I took out the first egg, and it crumbled like tissue paper in my hand. Oh, no. And I was like, what is this? So I'm, like, touching it. There's no moisture at all. 
and I wound up taking the other egg and I took um, uh, like an exacto blade, like a little scalpel head, and I mm-hmm. gently just started to cut the side of it, and it was perfectly hollow, almost like those eggs that you know they blow the contents out. And it's just like yeah. a perfect display. Yeah. So uh, like, yeah, I got I got an ostrich hollow. egg. Yeah. Exactly, ostrich egg or emu egg or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had this, these two perfect, gorgeous textbook eggs, completely hollow, devoid of all moisture, and this was during those perlite days. That the perlite was still moist and the humidity in the thing was fine, and I realized that they were just infertile eggs, but because the sand had caked itself around the exterior of the egg, it almost like mummified it and like petrified it, made it look perfect, and that's why for 55, 60 days, it looked champion. But wow. they were completely infertile. They were total duds, and it was a waste of my uh, emotions. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Damn. Yep. That suck, man. Wow. Yeah. And the, the worst part was uh, I, I gave her, like, some time off, and this year I tried to breed her, and she just does not want to be bred. And I think I think maybe – I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, or maybe she just doesn't like my boys. I have no idea. But I got to do so, something with her. There was something in um... – Leopard geckos. Um, that sometimes I guess if the eggs are incubated too hot, you can get a female that will act like a male and they'll actually get big and beefy or something like that. Um, anything like that with knobbies or anything like that that you've seen? No, not that I've seen. I mean, okay. from what I've gathered is is that it, it's just like almost like snakes where you breed them too early you're going to have complications. If you breed them too early and they're too small, you're going to have small eggs. And, and I've seen where it's made really small babies. And, like, yeah. the baby's healthy. It's just tiny. You know, See, we're, yeah. we're talking one and a half, two grams, if that. Dear God. And uh, I know it's, it's so – it's adorable, but it's, like, nerve-wracking. Um, so then I've also seen where – sorry, my brain just, like, hit reset button because I'm thinking <laughs> about these babies. <laughs> um, I've also seen – where you have, you know, big mom, big dad, big, big egg, you know, and that's, yeah, that's awesome. There's a leopard gecko thing. What is it where I guess if it's like 83 degrees, it comes out male or like 86 degrees, it comes out female or something to that capacity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, that's what it was. I, I used to know those okay. temperatures, but I don't keep geckos, so I, I don't. Yeah, this yeah, is I not mean, snake I, information. I out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I don't have enough room on memory bank for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> As far as I know, there's nothing like that with knobtails. However, okay. there's actually a lot of people that with certain species, I think it's uh, the centrals, the aspers, and I think the delini, that almost every time the people that have held back their clutches, of, so it's two eggs at a time, two eggs at a time, two eggs at a time, the people that have held back the full clutch and not sold me babies, mm. they grow up to be a pair. What? And like people are saying, yeah. <laughs> and like they'll produce a male and a female every time. Yeah, every time because they only have two eggs. So I don't know if that's you know people talking out their butt or if that's a fact or not. But I've heard that from a lot of people, both stateside and in the, in Australia, that you know they held back you know three or four clutches and they have exactly three or four pairs. Huh. That is so um, cool. If that's true, that is so yeah. goddamn cool. God, I wish carpets were sophisticated. I wouldn't have so many right? How great would that males. Be? Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> right? And I know there's been a lot of people that say that, you know, the babies are fragile and, you know, oh, they die really easy and blah, blah, blah. Well, I looked at it this way. 
Mm. I've had I've had a lot of babies die. I'll be honest, and some of it was from me. Some of it was probably from genetics. Some of it was from we have no idea what's going on in that baby's body. You know, that baby could have been born with a heart murmur. That baby could have been born with partial organs. You know, you have no idea. We don't do MRIs. We don't do CAT scans on you know microscopic echoes. So it's difficult for us to say what really happened when we lose a baby. Um, yeah. But in the wild, they're surviving. They're making it to adulthood despite only having two babies a year. You know, it's not like a veiled chameleon that has 50, 60 eggs because, you know, in theory, 80% of them are going to get eaten by other animals. Mm -hmm. This right. is a species that only has two babies a year, maybe four babies if that female is lucky. So the babies have to be more resilient than we give them credit for. The problem is I think that we in captivity are overstressed them out. Yeah. And I'm convinced that babies need to be – Hardcore left alone, and uh, I, I've learned a lot from Nipper in regards to like the Boiga and some of the more arboreal stuff that is super secretive and doesn't want to be seen. And they do best when you just leave them be and don't stress them out. Mm -hmm. So we get this new baby gecko, we're all excited. Oh my god, it's so cute! Look at this little wiggle butt. Look at it hunt. Look at it poop. Look at it do everything. And we're look at the gecko. Look at the gecko. Look at the gecko. But my babies, when I set them up, I don't feed them for like three or four days. I don't touch them. I don't look at them. I just leave them alone. When it's time for feeding, I throw the crickets in. I close the drawer. That's it. And I may not clean their cage for, say, three weeks, four weeks, because I want them to just chill out. They just had a traumatic experience. They just flew across the country. They just took a major road trip in a car in a deli cup. Who knows? But mm -hmm. I think that the stress really pays a, plays a factor in, you know, neos being, you know, uh, dying prematurely. Gotcha. Okay. Now, how do you set up the babies? Um, I do thick paper towels. Um, you okay. don't have to use you don't have to use like an actual quote unquote thicker you know ply of paper towel. I just I triple them up, double them up. I make it like a cushion for them, um, and I, I I do more humidity with them than I do for the adults because they're just starting life. And I like the paper towels because I can watch the fecal. I can watch if there's any kind of abnormal, you know, uh, cloacal discharge or any kind of blood of any kind. I want to make sure that they're having full sheds and I'm not losing any shed skin, whether it be from the toes or the tail or whatever, in the sand. So I do paper towels, and I miss them more than I do the adults because I want them to have that better microclimate and that better humidity because they're still developing. They're still growing, you know. Right. I mean, humans, it takes, what, you know, 15, 16 years, sometimes 18 years for us to be fully grown. These guys are doing it in six to nine months. So I need to make sure that the conditions are optimal for them and I can visually observe it. I know they're not getting mouthfuls of sand because they suck at hunting when they're born. They have to learn how to hunt. So with the babies, I'll feed one cricket, and then I'll go to the next one. I'll feed one cricket. I'll go to the next one. I'll feed one cricket. And then I'll go back to the first one and say, okay, you ate your cricket. Here's another cricket. And I'll only give them, you know, maybe one or two crickets. And the crickets I'm giving them are bigger than you'd expect because they got a big head, they got a big mouth. And I'd rather have them eat one good big cricket than eat five little ones and not get the nutrients he needs. Right. Right. If they're only going to catch one, make it worth it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, it, and, and they're so visually based in terms of like watching things and, and, and out of the corner of their eye. And like if you put a cricket right in between their eyes, like right in front of them, they may not see it because they're always aware of their surroundings. They're always checking their peripheral. But if I put the cricket on the side, wham, they'll just grab it like a fly swatter. Awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's cool. That's so cool. Okay. 
Awesome. So, uh, Eric, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out there with this one, or do you want to just start going into the closing questions? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, I learned a lot, you know, well, being a snake. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's a weird so cool. thing, man. It's wow. like, it's like you know, sometimes, just in general, I mean, obviously in this situation, it's a little bit different for you, but, like, just in general, man, sometimes we take for granted what we have in our collections and... It's like oh, yeah. you're always trying to grab the next thing rather than, you know, try to, like, take a step back and take a pause and say, okay, you know, like, I was doing that the other day with olive yeah. pythons. I had my olive pythons out, and I'm like, shit, man, I got olive pythons. How badass is this? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, dude, how many times, you know, I used to work for all the importers, and, like, we were getting these animals all the time, and they were dirt cheap. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I'll just get one later. I'll just get one later. I was mm-hmm. like, ah, no, nah, Tanzania is not closing down. I'll <laughs> grab one in the future when I son when of I got a more bitch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now stuff that was, you know, thirty-five dollars is, you know, ten grand or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, we used to get in a. We had a contact uh, that had. Uh, how do I phrase this? They were legitimately exported out of Kenya, but let's just say that their country of origin may have been Ethiopia. Okay. And uh, uh-huh. you remember the parviocula, the Bittus parviocula, the Ethiopian mountain adders? Uh-huh. Yes. So there's a, there's a range of mountains and, like, plateaus that borders Kenya and Ethiopia. And that's where you get a lot of the, um, the ashes spitters, the big giant, you know, the giant ashes cobras. And you get a lot, of, a lot of cool terrestrial lizards and stuff out of there. But one of the coolest things is those Bittus parviocula's neon green, you know, the pseudo rhino vipers. And I remember we were importing them by the buttload. And it was like, ah, it's another bitus. You know, yeah, it's pretty, it's green, whatever. I'll get one later. I'll get one now. And now it's like, no, they're five grand. And, you know, good luck. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, the problem is, is that, uh, what is it? Right now, Outback brought in the Mexico, Mexican burrowing pythons. And yeah, I've seen them all over the place. And, and, and I, I remember somebody was talking to us about them a couple shows ago or might have been a couple of years ago eric and it's like it's a pissed off brown python that nobody cares about i'm like yes <laughs> like so yeah now they're here exactly. and i'm like and i'm sitting there i'm like 1200 steep dude 1200 steep yeah. and i gotta pair up some other animals here but damn it i want these things just because god only knows when you're gonna see them again and i'm like ah. Uh, I hate this. It's a pissed yeah. off brown snake that'll never breed. That I yeah, it's it's everything I've ever <laughs> it's wanted. Right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, you're right in there. Yeah, right. So, well, it's like those Congo water cobras that nobody gave a shit about until they were legitimately described. You know, they yeah. they you got this big mottled elapid that loves water and is a pain in the ass and only eats fish. It's got a hood that it never uses. It's super duper toxic, and all it does is poo on you. And everyone's like, ah, whatever, they're cool. And all of a sudden, they come up with a, a paper that actually classifies them as Naja Nana. And now everyone and their mother has to have one. You yeah, know? It's that, I, like I, set, I, I, it's that whole. Dude, those cycles are just crazy because it's like, really? This shit's been around forever. Like, what was it? Mexican yeah. black king snakes. When they had a rush the last couple of years. It's like, really? Like, yeah. I wanted to buy a pair for like eighty bucks, and they're like four hundred dollars each, please. And I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, it's, I turned my back, and something happened with these things. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's oh, I got one that takes the cake in, in that mm. regard. I used to take a lot of 
bad cell phone pictures. Because, like, let's face it, 10, 15 years ago, there was there were cell phone cameras, but they were garbage compared to what Motorola Razor. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. My, my LG flip phone. Like, come yeah. on. So, so, you know, here I am sticking the, the, the top half of my LG flip phone in a deli cup to take pictures of stuff that I probably should have been taking pictures of. But I'm... Somebody posted an article about a newer species of atheris that they found in the DRC. And they're basically saying, you know, it's very similar to broadly eye, but, you know, it has this markings and that markings. It's more heavily keeled and blah, 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 blah. So it's pretty cool. So I comment on it. I'm like, man, that looks really cool. I think I've, I think I've seen them before. I think somebody had them, you know, a decade ago, whatever. Yeah. Well, whoever was part of that group chat or whatever was like, I guess got curious and started looking through my old Facebook photos on like my snake album and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he found I had them at Strictly and we thought that they were just ugly squams. (laughs) And like, he's sending me, yeah. Like he's sending me my own picture. He's like, dude, did you know you had this? And I was like, what the ugly squam? He goes, no man, look at the head, look at the scales. That's the blah, 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 the new one. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. And sure as heck, like I, like, like, I had it and didn't know it, you know? And because it was ugly, you probably sold it for cheap. <laughs> like, you know, it probably went, like, it oh, pro- there were probably, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, oh, my God. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, co- colored atheris 10 years ago, they're like 40 bucks, whatever. Yeah. You know, we oh used to get in a, you ever seen the, uh, Nipper's going to freak out when I say this, but the um, the Kenyan mountain uh, atheris, the Desei. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we used to get to say I in a strictly, and everyone was like, "Oh man, these are so cool!" You know, they're like this rich navy blue with bright highlighter yellow, and they're just you t- take care of them just like squams. They're they're just good hardy arboreal tree vipers, and we were selling them for like a buck twenty, I think. And now there's none to be found. No one has them. The people that breed them keep them to themselves. And like it's one of the holy grails of the arboreal viper, you know, community. But like we just gave them away for like a hundred bucks. Like, oh yeah, man, hundred bucks, whatever. Wow. Like, like yeah, I'm kind of hoping new, ring pythons know? dips down into the welcome to the show. Here's your free ring python because I need them again now. <laughs> so it's right, right. But oh my god, that, that you you always think about that stuff and it's crazy. It's always crazy, especially if you're the kind of person who's been in it for a while because you've given up animals that like. A year or two later, you really regret. Then, you know, if you stay in here long enough, 10 years, you really regret it. So, you oh, know, yeah. it's... Oh, yeah. It, it sucks, but... A couple of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but I'll tell you, I got I got no regrets, man. Like, the stuff that I've kept, the stuff that I gave away, the stuff... You know, because a long time ago, too, like, just because I did so much venomous stuff over the years... Most of our venomous friends, like, we just gave each other snakes because they were cheap enough, you know? Like, I had one friend that he bred legions cobras, and legions are probably my favorite cobra. And uh, for those that don't know, it's a, it was a subspecies of Egyptians, and mm-hmm. they basically got blended in. The subspecies was taken away. Um, when they're born, they're like a, a brown braided rope color on the bottom with a jet black head. And as they get older, they basically turn into black, jet black iridescence like an indigo snake with a jet black hood. And they're, they're incredibly impressive animals. Uh, there's uh, the Atlas Mountains Ooh. of Morocco is where they come from. So my one friend, he bought a pair for, I think, 150 bucks for the adults. He bred them. He got six eggs. He, he gave away all the eggs to all of us, and then we all had one. And, like, that just doesn't happen. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I even saw one for sale at all, let alone a baby that somebody bred. Yeah. You know, we just took it for granted. We just gave each other snakes. Now you almost can't do that. I wish you could. Yeah. 
I mean, but that's what should happen with some rare projects because, you know, you don't ever want to be the guy that had the only breeding pair of this and lost it because something went wrong with your cages. Like, you know, you, yeah. you want to spread it out, especially if you're doing something with a rare species or a rare python. And, like, you know, you want to be able to make sure that if something goes wrong, the line or the species isn't lost. You know, it, yeah. it's just that's yeah. the way it goes. So it helps when you have projects with people who are interested in the same species you are so you can trade babies, you know, so you can also keep things a little bit more diverse. I mean, Riley and I bonded over the Madagascar hogs and stuff like that because he's got them, I've got them, and stuff like that. We're already talking about potentially breeding and then swapping babies to keep everything diverse and stuff like that just to make sure that we, you know, keep it going, keep it keep keep these things happening so that say Madagascar ever does get shut down permanently they're not gone so right yeah. right but um yeah anyways Eric did you want to just uh, go through the closing questions and see what's up yeah go for it man cool so since we're talking about species that we've you know had not had and crap like that um <laughs> what would be uh if you could own any species without limitations of any kind what would it be and why oh man you can't ask that dude that's, yes again that, we do it every episode oh man yeah i know i know and and we, I make, I we make we make people we make people exactly it's been three hours oh, know what's happening it's like yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like it's one of those things where it's like, all right. So I have particular species that I don't have, even uh -huh. though I could, because yes. I feel like I appreciate them more because I don't have them. Does that make right. sense? Mm -hmm. It does. You know, I appreciate you know? monitors because I don't have to clean them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ah, yeah, I get you. I get you. Um, I think if we're talking geckos, I think those those zebra banded uh, aspers that come out of the Cape York Peninsula, uh -huh. I think those would be like it. Because be it. it's it they're they're the same species that you find in the the desert regions of like the Dajara and stuff, but they're first of all they look like friggin' purple zebras. They're adorable. They have big purple eyes and they're awesome. But they're like a lowland swamp kind of knobtail, which is unlike anything else in the genus. Mm -hmm. And it's the same species. They've just adapted themselves to be like in a boggy, jungly kind of environment. You know, very fossorial, wet fossorial. Mm -hmm. um, and he, there are none of those in the United States. I mean, I'm sure somebody has them, and they just don't publish it, you know. But there's a couple in Europe. But I would, I would kill to have those things. Those things are awesome. That's cool. Um, so if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And uh, if herping, what would be the species you'd be looking for? Oh man, this so this is this is a trick question because. I want to say Australia and, you know, tour the continent looking for knobtails and tiger snakes. And, oh, man, if I could find if I could find every species of taipan in the wild, that would just set me off, man. That would be awesome. <laughs> but I, I, I have strict instructions from my conscience to not say that and to say join Nipper in Israel and look for uh, Deboya Palestina. Okay. Because that is a trip that I legitimately plan to do in the future is I'm going to go to Israel with Nipper and I'm going to let him show me the ropes and find some big pissed off Israeli vipers. <laughs> That's cool. That's that cool. is cool. Yeah. Love that. I mean, man, if I could see any, any 
viper species, you know I'm going straight for the spider tail just because those things are just so goddamn cool. But oh yeah, dude, and you just have to watch it. You just have to watch yeah. it work. You know, like I throw a bird yeah. at it. Like I mean, like I oh, would, yeah. <laughs> here kill it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and why did you bring a butterfly net to you know the mountain? It'll all become oh, clear see. when we find the <laughs> viper. See. Okay, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a cool speed. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. So, uh, how uh, w- how would people be getting in touch with you if they wanted to talk about Nobbies or anything like that? You want to throw your contact information out there? Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's Nobtail. It's at Nobtails.ig. That's like the main gecko page, and it's basically just some of my own geckos and a ton of reposts from other people. You know, I show some breeders, show some captive bred stuff, but I try and show most of the stuff in the wild. That way we can credit the, the field photographers who are doing the, the hard work out in the field, and we get to see them in the natural habitat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're adorable in a terrarium or in someone's hand, but, like, in the wild, that's just that's the money right there. And obviously yeah. I'm thousands and thousands of miles away, so I have to live vicariously through those photographers. Um, <laughs> if you want to see uh, – I do post some snakes on the story mode of Instagram on that knobtails.ig, but it's mostly just geckos. If you want to look at some snake stuff, I have another page. It's on my personal page. It's Phil the Wolf on Instagram, and uh, there's a ton of crap about snakes and lizards and whatever else you want to see. Cigars, you know. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Awesome. Doesn't Justin call you the Wolf of Wheeler Eye? Isn't that the name? <laughs> he does. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that's it. Oh, that my not, God. I did not... I did not ask for that name. He was, he's, it was assigned. Yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) That's cool though. (laughs) That is, that is is very cool. Yeah. Cool, man. I need more of them, man. I gotta, I gotta build up that Nobtail army. (laughs) Small, a small little tiny army of little frog mouths. Yeah. That's awesome. I always sit on the fence with these guys, you know, it's like one of those things like, ah, do I take the plunge? Is it like, you know, it's like, I don't remember the last time you tried geckos. Well, that was that was what you call geckos. Yeah, well, yeah, and that was like I'm going to breed them and da 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 da. I think I talked about that. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, well, don't don't do that. Just just I just get want one, one in a naturalistic like, set. Yeah, just get a thing. tank and let it yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, dude. And you know what? Yeah. If you have one in a tank, you can stop by Petco and get some crickets every once in a while and chuck <laughs> them in there. I mean, yeah. like, of yeah, course. you don't you don't have to keep a cricket colony. I might so, give them a try yeah. at some point. I mean, they are cool, you know. And I'm they sure are so cool. If I see them in the wild, that will just like solidify it for me 100. percent So I'd rather have it and then, of course you know, see it in the wild and be like, oh my god, yeah, I have that in my list. Yeah, and there's 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 breeders that are always have like spare males. You know what I mean? And the the animal's awesome. It's a stellar looking critter, and it's reasonably priced because it's surplus male. Right. So the breeders are you know they're more apt to you know say hey you want a cool pet here's a cool pet right. you know and and. I don't want to sound like you'll be more attentive to it because you only have the one, but that's a fact. You will, you know, yeah. you'll appreciate it more because you just have the one. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's a kind of, if you do it naturalistic and kind of kick ass, that that's the kind of tank you have in the living room, you know? Yeah, kind of exactly. Thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like most, you know, there's snake guys at heart, right? At least me and Owen are. I right. Think, I think, Absolutely. I think you are. hundred percent. Right you know? I mean, yeah, I think most of your animals don't have legs or the majority of the ones you've worked <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah. But I so, think yeah, exactly. uh, I think it's cool to do something different. You're, and you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of times, at least the people, the listeners that I'm talking to, they're always looking for something, you know, something different, you know. And 
this would sure. fit into that wheelhouse, you know, just something different that you could uh, kind of get a little taste of Australia and, uh, you know, just seems like. Absolutely. I would say that yeah, because, man. you know, Eric, you've tried breed, you've tried keeping or breeding several species of snake that are that deviate from Australia and have been kind of like not impressed with some of them that potentially maybe the next thing is just to stay in Australia, but deviate out of snakes, you know, dip into geckos. Yeah. I've, <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I don't know if this got recorded or not, but I think Rob was sort of telling, you know, taking, taking his little shot at me about like, Oh yeah, the guy that wants to keep every species of Python and all that kind of oh, stuff. No, he said it. It was in there. It was, <laughs> so, right? okay. Yeah, it was there. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, we've been very supportive of you. And he's like, yeah, Owen and I both were. And I'm like, no, we weren't. <laughs> like, yeah. You were like, this you're, is you're dumb. You're dumb. Me straight. Like, tell me like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? This is not a good idea, dude. Like, yeah. But, um, well, that's that's how I got that that's how I got that water python man. I was I was literally at my friend's shop and he got a couple you know a couple male babies, little yeah. yearlings or whatever the hell they are. And I I look at him I'm like oh my god there's Queensland fuscus I need this in my life. And I immediately texted Billy Hunt and I was like Billy talk me out of this. And he no said no like the emoji. No. That was your first yeah, mistake. Yeah. You texted Billy <laughs> like that was your yeah, like exactly. how many times I do this yeah. to Eric? I'm like tell me not to buy this and he's like do it and I'm like no. <laughs> You're supposed yeah. to say no. Well, <laughs> say no. Right, right, right. And what's funny is I went to the store because my buddy got some, uh, some like eight-month-old stonewashed brettles that he got from Ralph, uh-huh. and I was I went there to go look at the friggin' stonewash, and I'm Left like, with the water pipe. stonewash. <laughs> yeah, I, I need this this ugly ass water python in my life right now. Right. And I texted Billy, and Billy was like, "Why are you asking me? You know my answer." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my my, my is bad like that too. I'm like, honey, I don't think I want. Uh, I talk me out of the snake. She's like, do we need it? I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. No, the answer was just no. The answer is just don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, so. the, the other part of it too is my wife is kind of looking for something. So she wanted to get a bearded dragon, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, uh, kill that. I like, come immediate. on, like, yeah, we can we can do a little bit yeah. better than that, you know. Nothing wrong with bearded dragons. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm not no, saying that. but they but, like, do need we're... a little bit more. The vegetables and crap and well, yeah. Well, right, not only right. that, I was telling her I was like, I was kind of showing her. I was like, well, these knobtail geckos are, you know, like you were saying, they they kind of have like this cute look to them. You know what I mean? They and do. I can just see Dory being right. like all over that, like, oh my yeah. god, look at its eyes and look at it. Uh huh. <laughs> and it'll do that little gecko thing, and yeah. if it and if she watches it like stand and twitch its butt everywhere, like yeah, done. Yeah, she wanted see. something you oh, know, yeah. set up in like. Now I episode. know why we have a knobtail episode. I get it. Research. No, no, it's not that. I've been thinking this for a long time, but uh, no, I wanted to talk to Phil. You know, and. Um, um, yeah, I I wanted him to to be able to push these knobtails because I, I think he that, did. Uh, I think he did a good job with that. And now you're screwed. So well, I think that <laughs> I most most of the people that listen to this show love Australian reptiles, and uh, they know, haven't. Wrong place. Uh, yeah, I love always like you know stepping outside of uh, what we normally do. So yeah, no, I, and you know what? Like like I told you, we had that one show with Justin. I've been like, I like knobbies. I should get knobbies. It's like, no, no, I can't. There's too many other projects. So see too much of the shit, right? This is what's going to happen, Phil. I'm going to get a knobtail, and he's going to come to my house and be like, oh, no. Oh. 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 <laughs> see, look, he's even like making the noise all the other now. Time. Yeah, he knows you exactly know. Oh. Shut up. <laughs> oh, God. Well, what you, Why do you have this? What and I don't. Do is, 
you gotta you gotta send you gotta send a picture of how you gotta find the most adorable cute picture of the big googly frog eyes right of yeah. your gecko that's in your enclosure and you gotta send it to Owen's girl and then be like oops I'm sorry that was that was he's already Owen. done oops. roundabout ways to kill me with that I mean. <laughs> He's been like, I'm not going to send it to you. I'm like, you uh, bastard. <laughs> like, we're on like, the yeah, same no. page, Phil. We are on the same page. Yep. That's it, man. That's yep. it. Yeah. Uh, you'll have, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. What will we have? Uh, Colony knobbies in my freaking nightstand. I'll be like, where the hell did these come from? <laughs> like, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, cool, man. Cool. So, uh, also, we should throw a plug out there. Snakes and stogies, man. Uh, yeah, thank is you. There, is there... Is there a certain day that you guys do that? No, you, like, you guys just yeah, play by ear. It, it's been it's been tough because um, you know Justin has a, a bunch of different media things that he does with the magazine and the, the yeah. Herpetoculture podcast and everything else. Mm-hmm. So you know the Herpetoculture magazine is really taken off great, and we're loving doing everything with it. And we got so many great contributors, and Justin and Billy just do a straight up awesome job in the magazine that we kind of have been, you know putting snakes and stogies kind of like, I don't want to say on like hiatus, but it's definitely on the back burner. So like some, we're trying to do Sunday nights. Sometimes we'll do it Monday. I know last week we had to switch it up because uh, the guests that they had on the Herpetoculture podcast had to switch days. So we're kind of playing it by ear, but if you go to Justin's uh, YouTube page, which is Palmetto Coast Exotics, mm-hmm. we actually uh, live stream it onto Palmetto Coast Exotics YouTube channel. And that way you'll see every single video and you can just try it in that way. And we're, we're talking about making a, a YouTube channel just for Snakes and Stogies. But for now, we'll just use his uh, Palmetto Coast Exotics and uh, keep it going. I'm going to throw my little hat in the ring for this. And, you know, you take it as you will. But, you know, I think you guys should make that a, a, like a podcast. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can get it on a podcast yeah. app. And the reason is, is because yeah. a lot of times, like... If I'm driving in the car, which is where a lot of the times I'm listening to a podcast, I can't get like the YouTube just drops in and out, you know, and yeah, it's uh, you okay, drop, okay. It, yeah, it has to stream it with because you can't you just can't that, minimize YouTube without it, you know, yeah, you can't. Yeah. It's just yeah. that connection is is bad. You can right. download it, just, I guess, uh, but like you know, just know. to upload the audio to a I'm podcast app. I'm not trying to give Justin more work. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know I he's got a lot of work. Upload it to a, I, yeah, I'll do it. Justin, well, it, upload it to a podcast it, thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's honestly what I was thinking is uh, we originally talked about how we were going to put it on. We were going to put Snakes and Stogies on the Herpetoculture Podcast podcast channel thing. Mm-hmm. And that way it would just, it would, you know, every other THP episode could be a Snakes and Stogies thing. But we realized that that would severely mess up the statistics and the data of of the actual normal Herpetoculture yeah. podcast. So right. what I right. what I plan on doing is probably just making a new podcast channel for Snakes and Stogies and then just taking that audio from YouTube and just uploading it straight to that. But it's a work yeah. in progress. We're just having fun with it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Cool. It's good stuff. Cool. Good stuff. So if you can check it out, definitely worth uh, worth a listen uh, for sure. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks for coming on and uh, yeah, spending dude. some time with us. Hey, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome to chat with you guys. And, you know, I am a listener as well. So it's it's really cool to do this with you guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah man. Thanks for uh, thanks for popping by and educating us on the venomous and the nobbies. So, yeah. Yeah, man. It's what I do. I <laughs> cool. Appreciate <what> I, <laughs> I appreciate everything you guys do for everything. It's awesome, man. You guys are stables in this community. And I appreciate it. Yeah.
Thanks a lot, dude. Likewise. So, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll catch. Night. Yeah, we'll catch up with you at a carpet fest if those ever happen again, and uh, or a show if those ever happen again. So. <laughs> yeah. You guys need to, well, Daytona's still on, man, as of right now. So you guys need to come down for Daytona because even if the show gets canceled for whatever reason, the only reason why they're going to cancel that show is if the state makes them. Right. right. Let's say the state does make them cancel. It's going to be one hell of a beach party. Yeah, I, I, I wish I had thought this a little bit better because I would have just planned my vacation down there till then. But yeah, yeah I'm go. not a big fan of I'm not a big fan of Daytona as a whole. But right. I, you're damn well believe I go to that reptile show every year, make a hell of a weekend. Right. All right. So I mean, dude, it's it's yeah, a nice right? venue. It's it's a very nice venue. So I went there yeah. two years ago. So yeah. Yeah, and from what I gather, even with times of COVID, apparently this uh, is the biggest vendor sellout list they've had in like five, six years. Holy so crap. we'll see what happens. Yeah. Hmm. But again, thanks for bringing me on, guys. I really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, we'll talk soon. All right, man. Thanks, man. Catch up with you later. Awesome. All thanks. Right. See you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's close this out, Owen. Um, Before I do, I yeah. have to give props to uh, Mr. Francis Pringle because he did watch my collection while I was in Florida and I told him I would give him props. There we are. Next. Props. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, he did a good job. Okay. Nothing died and everything had eggs and he only panic texted me once. So, yeah. <laughs> only once. That's yeah. good, man. That's good. But eggs. All right, take the eggs away from her. It's like, you know, it's like shit. <laughs> shit. So, uh, Okay. Cool. Way to go, Francis. <laughs> good, good job, Francis. See, I told him, see, now you had, uh, hopefully he stayed all three hours of the show to get to this point. Otherwise, he's just going to be bitching at me because I don't give him prom. <laughs> right on. See, I know, right? Jesus. So, uh, yes, um, if you want to uh, follow us, uh, you can, whatever podcast app that you use, uh, you can uh, you can download the, the, subscribe to the show, get it uh, every week. Um, and uh, if you want access to the archives that go back to 2011. Holy crap. You can go to Blog Talk Radio, <laughs> blogtalkradio.com slash Radio, um, and you'll find uh, the past episodes right there, um, which is crazy that people are still listening to those, man. I did, did, what is wrong with you people? Find something else to do, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can follow the show uh, on our Facebook page, Instagram. Um, we also have uh, you know, our group, Murray Pick of the Week. Um, but, uh, yeah, all those places, uh, you can see what we got going on. Our website is net. And if you want to get in touch with us by email, info at Um and then be sure to visit our Teespring store uh, if you want some yes. NPR swag. Um, Teespring.com slash store slash NPR. Not for the love of God. Yeah. <laughs> Just as if you couldn't make it any easier. Uh, son of a but, bitch. Uh, the, easiest way, the easiest way to get to it is just go to um, our website, and there's a link that will take you right to the store. So if you want to support the show, that's this is how we do it. Um, and uh, you get some cool, some cool stuff, you know. If you like shirts, hats, stickers, uh, coffee cups, uh, posters, I forget what else is over there. But there's there's a bunch of stuff, and uh, you know, like I said, 
right now uh, I'm going to try to get some stuff up there. I know we've been contacting a couple artists or we've been contacted by a few artists. Um, so we're going to try to try to get, uh, I'm going to try to get some new stuff plugged in there. Maybe even revamp some of the other stuff. Uh, I know we dug up a lot of the old carpet fest t-shirts, so we're going to get that going. Uh, and then I think I'm going to bug some artists that we know about a, uh, 2020 Northeast carpet fest t-shirt. Um, yes. even though we're not having it, I want to get a logo out there for you guys to purchase for people who kind of just want to complete the set. Plus I'm thinking we're going to try to, uh, find some place for it to donate to. So we'll see what we got. Um, and yeah, we'll just, uh, go from there. Um, and we'll get everything plugged in. So right. cool. And for me, ebmorelia.com, uh, you can follow me on uh, Facebook and you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube. Um, yeah, I have babies that are, uh, I don't know, I think I'm three meals in. So I like to go five um, before I start to figure out what's what. Um, yeah, but, to, uh, to, be, it, to be honest, uh, those jungles that hatch in April, I'm just getting them to take their, getting some of them to take their fourth meal. And it's a mixture of like live and then they finally took frozen thaws. And, I, and I've got people asking me when they're going to be available. And I'm like, not yet, because I don't want to just send it out and then have it either boomerang back or have to help coach somebody because it's not ready. So trust me, I'd much rather get rid of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I got a ton of babies coming up on on the back end now too. Yeah, dude. Now I gotta do. I gotta figure out what rhinos do. Like, I mean. <laughs> yes, I figured. You gotta uh, feed them fish, next, right? <laughs> our next episode is gonna be uh, just Owen and I, and uh, we'll cool. talk, we'll give you an update on uh, you know our seasons and because mass panic going uh, on over here. <laughs> Owen's got a lot to update. Um, so so cool much stuff. panic. <laughs> just so we're gonna leave that as a cliffhanger. Yeah, the there we go. <laughs> yeah, shit. Um, now, now tune in next week, right? When our heroes battle whatever the hell else is going on, like, right? It, and then uh, I do have uh, I do have a couple cool guests lined up um, after that, Sweet. but uh, next next episode will be uh, just me and Owen. So cool. All right. All so uh, for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out all the stuff we got going on at Rogue. You can also follow Rogue Reptiles on Instagram, which is rogue underscore reptiles, and on Facebook.com at Rogue Reptiles. Right now, currently, we just took pictures of all the babies that are currently for sale. Um, that's the 100% uh, Het Stonewash babies. Um, coming up next, uh, there will be uh, some jungles. Uh, I just want to try to get a few more meals into them, and they'll be put up there. And then on the back burners after that, dude, there's going to be a lot of caramel stuff. <laughs> nice. Three whole clutches worth of caramel crap. So that'll be up there. Um, and, uh, dude, then it's, you know, the olives are going to be hatching soon. Like, I got more bread lye, and then the snow corn snake exploded. Like, <laughs> there's so many eggs. <laughs> It's supposed to be a cliffhanger, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm right, uh, um, <laughs> Shit. You're sharing all I'm the messing, secrets. I'm messing up this. I'm making up the sweeps. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, if you want to reach out to me about any of those animals, just hit me up on uh, the website, Instagram, Facebook, book, any one of those. Um, what we will say is thank you all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back here next time, next week, for some more Rally of Python radio. Good night. She's gone 
Thank you.